20 years ago, you had the highest GNP in the world. Today, you're tied with Albania. So good work. Your second biggest export is secondhand goods, followed closely by dates, for which you lose five cents a pound. You want to know what the business world thinks of you? We think 100 years ago, you were living out here in tents in the desert, chopping each other's heads off, and that's exactly where you're going to be in another 100. So yes, on behalf of my firm, I accept your money. Somebody asked me, did you threaten to cut off Elon Musk's dick this week? I did not. Oh. Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode <laughs> of Fascinated with Films. <laughs> you know, do you know what I'm referring a, to? That would be a fascinating film. That's what uh, Johnny Depp said during his deposition, that Amber Heard had uh, an affair with Elon Musk, and if Elon Musk comes near him, he's going to cut his dick off. Yeah. So have, you been, have you followed any of that? I, just they're, they're, of I knew. At she... first, we thought Johnny Depp was crazy, and now we thought she was crazy, and now we think they're both fucking crazy, is what it turns out to be. They should probably get <laughs> back it, together. They said the, the headline was uh, Wild Day at uh, in the court that dealt with a lot of bodily fluids yeah, and I, shit and blood. Yeah, and then the Elon Musk thing came up because apparently they split in like 2017, and Elon Musk said, Yeah, we dated for a couple months, and that was it. <laughs> he yeah. said, he probably realized she was fucking crazy as hell, or that they realized that uh, if you're going to be with Elon Musk, you're going to have to be a certain type of person. <laughs> well, plus you probably won't see him for yeah three hours. Yeah, a week. I would. I would think. Yeah, I would think. <laughs> I think he's, he works. He's, he's pretty busy. I think he worked. I mean, he's a crazy person. I should have checked our. Okay, you're good. I'm checking our levels here. Oh. Even though I can do some magic afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> we are still outside, so doing the quarantine because Florida has uh, gone in the, the reverse kind of way as everybody else. But Florida likes to be different. Yeah. <laughs> so. For usually the wrong reason. <laughs> I'm also what did Pat Oswald say? The only reason to go to Florida is usually just to identify the body of your yeah. of your kid. <laughs> that was a great. I was listening to some podcast and someone was ripping Florida and the guy's like, damn, man, you shouldn't say that. He says, oh, come on. Florida people know Florida. Florida's nuts. He says, yeah, Florida's we do. Nuts. We know. I mean. Most of us aren't from here, so yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter. And <laughs> a lot of people come here to get away from shit. Yeah. Too. Because yeah. one, it's cheap. And some of these some places, some places. <laughs> yeah, if you go to the right places, it yeah. used to be Port Charlotte was cheap. Now Port Charlotte's freaking expensive. Yeah, but I mean, there's places <laughs> in the interior like oh shit, yeah, you yeah, could yeah. go right around here. Oh yeah, like or the, the outskirts. Arcadia in you don't mind South Florida, you, living in uh, Red Hat Country, yeah, Red Hat Country, <laughs> and Make America Great Again Country. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> Hopefully everyone liked our canon, uh, our final canon uh, episode, and this is going to be our final. I'm not going to be tricked into doing a Don't spy four. <laughs> I won't be tricked into doing a spy four. No, maybe not. Maybe not now, but it's <laughs> yeah. definitely no, ones on the table. Still. We got some really good. Uh, the next two episodes because we were planning if we were anticipating being all together again for. Uh, after the quarantine was done, but apparently that's not happening, so we were going to do a wild card when we all came back together again, but since we're not going to be back together again, we decided to do two wild cards. Me and Dave are going to do one, and me and Justin are going to do one, so me and Justin next week. And man, it is fun. I've picked some the random movies, but I've tailored yep. them, and I won't show you mine, but I, I've tailored them to Justin and to you, so I know they're ones that you either have seen or know about, and the same with Justin. So it's going to be really so uh, fun to do. To, you might need me to spill the beans on mine before. Well, yeah, well, that's what I was saying, because or you, yeah, I could do that. But I have a, uh, I have like eight pictures on my phone now uh-huh. of all my things. They're like three pages on one picture, and you just pinch them in. So I'm gonna send those to you later on, and you will, you'd be like, hey, these are the uh, five I need for next week, and uh, or two weeks, and I'll uh, lend you them. But what it's been going on in your life? Anything? Nothing. Nothing interesting. Man. <laughs> no plan. 
Playing a lot of golf. Oh, yeah? Not even playing golf, practicing a lot I mean, of you golf. got your own kind of uh, range at your house. I dropped about 350 bucks on a three-foot by five-foot uh, mat that simulates f- hitting a fairway. Oh really? Can't even. Feel, it doesn't even feel like a mat. Oh wow! How much does the mat cost? Three fifty. Three fifty for a five foot by three foot. It better work. For the oh, it's great. I, I, <laughs> I mean, it's great. I should have got just, it two years ago. Yeah, you could just slap it down anywhere. anywhere on like yeah. tall grass, it would just I'm be. just move it from spot to spot. Oh, I have so awesome. many hills on my thing. Oh, man. Once this is yeah, over, I'll I'm going to get some flags and put those yeah. in. And <laughs> By the time this is over, you'll have your own course. I'm you put you a, could do I it. could do three par three holes. Yeah. I already, awesome. I already figured out where I would put them so that you What would you do for the green? Um, they that's have that, the problem. They have, they have a practice green that you can buy to putt on, so that would have to be a movable thing. I mean, it wouldn't be an easy round of golf. Yeah, you would think if they could do the fairway green uh, partially, you could you do can. it. You it, can. It's not. The thing is, it, it would it works better if it's on a hard surface. Yeah. Oh, I get you. Because that's you can't, the kind of. Yeah. But the mat isn't. The mat you can throw right down because it's got its own that's hard awesome. surface underneath it. Hell, yeah. So. No, definitely gotta check that out then. Yeah, and I got like six hundred range balls. So. Yep, I just been doing uh, doing housework, watching a whole lot of movies. My wife's to my down house south. If you want to do some housework? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I got my own. My wife's down south, uh, taking care of her father's about to move up to uh, Georgia. She's yeah, her getting mother there. Uh, her mother passed away, unfortunately, and. Uh, her father's going to move up. They have two houses, one in Georgia and one in South Florida. So she's getting their house ready in South Florida to sell so that he can move to Georgia. But she went down there. She got food poisoning last night from uh, Applebee's. Screw you, Applebee's. You are no longer a sponsor of Fascinated with Films. <laughs> if you had said, what are the top five restaurants that give you food poisoning? Chipotle. <laughs> Applebee's. <Yeah. laughs> Applebee's would be right up there. Screw you, Fiesta Lime Chicken. <laughs> I wouldn't eat from Applebee's. And it must have been food poisoning. I would rather eat she's... Circle K meat. On, on a roller deck yeah. than to eat Applebee's. Man, she's got so Applebee's she, is gross. Yeah, she's uh, puking all day yesterday. Yeah. Then she that's was her thought fault. she would get she could eat. Yeah, no, it's her own fault. You only <laughs> have to blame yourself yeah. for that. <laughs> if you had said you went to Texas Longhorn and you got food yeah, poisoning, yeah, yeah. I bet. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been uh, I've been I have for a side gig here because I uh, luckily I have a great job that's not affected by the quarantine at all. And uh, but I have a side gig. I have like a store on eBay where I sell '80s uh, collectible toys, and I buy them from my own collection. And uh, man, I've been going crazy. I've been uh, selling. I've sold over like thirty-two hundred dollars worth of stuff in the last ninety days, and I've invested, reinvested like seventy-five percent of it into stuff that I can sell or into stuff that from my own collection that will eventually get sold. When and you, uh, when I've been going crazy. And I, and I tearfully. <laughs> Tell your wife that I need yeah. something to remember you by. Yeah, yeah. I need that whole shelf <laughs> <Yes>. there. <laughs> Why is there an eBay listing with all this yeah, stuff? Yeah. <laughs> so I've been like doing in my own personal collection. I've been doing little pieces of uh, of '80s nostalgia. So I have like eight pieces, small pieces, because I want to keep it kind of contained. It's very easily to go out of uh, to go crazy on it. So I've kind of contained it to one bookshelf. But I've like got little pieces from Star Wars, from Thundercats, from uh, Master Universe, GI Joe. I got some of the real Ghostbusters and uh, some of the uh, DC superpowers the and a lot of I great stuff. From man. toys from but the '80s that I probably would still enjoy doing now is. Uh the space Legos. Space Legos are very pricey. Freaking very love pricey. Those Just one figure with a broken helmet is like thirty bucks. 
I, <laughs> How many wheels That guy, we remember I told you I had a friend that yeah. worked at Nelly's Should've, and had a bunch of stuff? Give them all. He had Should've. all the bo- original boxes yeah. and all the Space Lego sets, all yeah. the different bases and all the machines and all the... Eric made me drool yesterday. I had, like, my phone was, like, tripping out of my hands being like, buy it, buy it, buy it. Someone mm-hmm. came in with, like, a huge Star Wars lot. It was a Vader case, which I had just sold mm-hmm. one of the C-3PO heads that was a case, if you remember from the 80s, used to fill them up with the figures. And I had an extra figure, so I stuffed it in the case, and I sold it for 300 bucks. And I immediately bought another a Vader head again, and I'm filling them up, and that's kind of one of my things I'm doing is to get quality figures. Well, Eric had someone come in with a Vader case filled with figures, and every figure had, like, everything accessory in it. And then <clears throat> he uh, had a whole other bag of figures, and he was like, the guy wants a G for it. And I, I'm like, no, so that's way too much. I said, maybe if he split them up, he'd be able to get six or $700. There's a lot of accessories there and everything. And then I sent it to him, and then I looked closer, and he had three sealed figures uh, next to it. Oh. He had, like, an Ewok, like, sealed on the card, and another one, uh, another figure, uh, kind from of a the, rare from one. From the first run? Not from the first run. And I was like, whoa, I didn't see the sealed figures. Probably worth it. And he, he's like, yeah, that guy walked, man. He says, I offered him. I started the negotiations at 450, and he laughed and uh, left the, as <laughs> left he, the as store. He I was like, damn it. I said, because I would have been so interested. I know I would have gotten first shot at a whole bunch of those figures there. And uh, I have the whole entire run. That's your fault for not telling them to buy it for yep. 1000 I know. I said, <laughs> do it, do it. <laughs> uh, because I would have dropped him 100 just to get, like, uh, some of the figures that had the accessories. Because, like, the uh, a lot of them are super rare. But <laughs> I digress. You know what isn't rare? <laughs> Spying, Spying on people? <laughs> nah, it it, it kind of is. Yeah, I guess it's not rare. Not rare at all. <laughs> not rare at all. Even when it trickles down to the boyfriend, girlfriend. We used to know about it. Uh, you got a mosquito on your head. Oh, yeah. I like mosquitoes. Yeah, well, when you start bleeding, I'll let you know. <laughs> so we have part three of spy movies. Yes. Great list here, man. You look at this list and you're surprised that they weren't on spy movies number one, you know, because there's just so many great ones out there. I mean, a lot of war movies you can completely put into that kind of category. Not a whole lot of war movies on here, but a couple of them are. So um, I always say we start off on this list. Certainly yeah. number three, and I guess number eight has some elements of that in there. Number and that five, is for five, sure. five for sure. Number three for sure. Yeah, three and five for sure uh, yeah. are definitely kind of war movies here. But uh, yeah. Yeah, eight, yeah, there's some really eight, good ones ten. here, and they go all the way back to I think our earliest on this list is 1976, and our uh, our latest is uh, 2014. Yeah, mm-hmm. so we'll start right up at the top here, man. And this is one of my favorite ones because I I just love Chris Cooper in it. Oh man! And this is 2007's Breach. Now, if you haven't seen Breach, this is a movie, man. It's yeah. slow, but it's man, it is really good, and it's a it's probably the epitome of great spy movies. This one, this one actually tried to go on my first list, and I had to bump it, and I it went on the second list, and I bumped it, and I, I was like, I got to put it on the third, and I said it's going to go on top though. Now, do you remember this movie? It's the I true it's story uh, of uh, Robert Hansen. Yeah, one of the biggest spies ever. Because he was an FBI agent. Yeah. He was like he was a major he, high up. He was high up. FBI, FBI and, agent. Uh, it's one of those things where. Yeah, you never think it's going to be happening at that level of kind of. Yeah, you can't really people, but that's the problem with spies. Yeah, once they get disillusioned, or I mean, you can't, you can't trust anybody, even your best friend. Yeah, and he wasn't doing it. I mean, he did it for money a little bit, but a lot of it was his ego. You know, he didn't think he was going to get caught, and he. Really thought he was. Nobody thinks he was the get shit. Yeah, until they that, get that's caught. what it is, man. And it was. It's the same with the, greed, man. It's like there's no, there's no end. Yeah, 
And not to take away from uh, because Chris Cooper, name was Chris great. Cooper is Ryan amazing in it, but Ryan Phillippe oh, is awesome. so good in it. Awesome. He's so underrated of an actor. You know, a lot of people tend the, to who think was of the person that sent him in. Laura Linney. Laura Linney. Yeah. She was well. Great. She's she's always been next level, but since Ozark, it's gone next I didn't level. See for Ozark. Him. You should watch it, dude. She's it's, good in that. She's really good. I, she went in. I've only we we are on. It was funny because this shit happened with uh, my girl's uh, mother and a whole bunch of stuff with the quarantine. But we were like stuck on the the season finale. Of episode of season one, but I hear season three is like Dexter season four good, or everyone's being like, "Oh my god, that's." People were like, "Yeah, you should check out Ozarks; it's pretty good." But then when season three hit, people were like, "Holy crap, dude!" Isn't uh, Jason Bateman on it? Jason Bateman, I think yeah. That's the reason why it's kept me from watching it. Oh, he's good, man. I know you he's don't like good, Jason Bateman. I do, but he 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 brings something to the table that's I don't, comedic, and I'm not a big fan of comedy. Not in this, not in this series. Okay. No comedy whatsoever. Okay. Really, really okay. good. Yeah, check it out. It's uh, it's definitely worth a watch. I'm it's still on, stuck uh, watching. It's on Netflix. I I only watch two things now. <laughs> I watch movies. movies for the podcast, or I watch final rounds of famous golf championships. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I'm fascinated. You too. Oh, I watched Jack Nicholas win the Masters in '86. Yeah. His last even one. knowing how it's going to end, you're like, oh, this is good stuff. First of all, I don't. I know how it ends, <laughs> yeah. but I don't remember how it. Oh, how to get how it got how there. it got there. Yeah, I just remember the result. Yeah. Well, who else was on this movie that was great was uh, the president from 24, was Dennis Haysburg. He was really good. He came in for a small little role in it. But really it was kind of the the Ryan Phillippe and the Chris Cooper show. So Laura Linney actually recruits Ryan Phillippe and says, we're putting you in that office there. And she tells him at the beginning... well, at first she says we think he's like a sexual deviant. Yeah. Which there is a level of it. I think he's taken some videos of his wife or something. It was nothing big. But they used that to get him into the... Who hasn't taken videos of his wife? Yeah, come on, man. I'll show you him right now. <laughs> uh, Chris, so, I got videos of his wife. <laughs> uh, the, uh, so that kind of gets him in and everything. And But... Ryan Phillippe realizes right off the bat it's not something's weird because but he's he very religious. Him. He's very he likes him. He's he very gets, religious. He even but, gets him to go to church. But he? he is he, he does get him to go to church. But Ryan Phillippe really realizes that this guy is a hardcore nut to crack too. I mean he's yeah. very stern. Oh, he's paranoid. He's, he's like very paranoid. Have you moved this like pen on my yeah. desk? And no. The, and uh, there were certain tense scenes. I of was this just going to say, spy movies. The one thing that I like about him, but it's also one thing that makes me anxious, is and it's probably designed that way to make everybody it's anxious. It's that tense like kind of getting there. Like, like always, i got to type the code in the safe, yeah. and the guy's coming down the hallway oh, yeah. with like the coffee. Like the, uh, the Bend it to Cumberbatch scene in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, yeah. when he's doing yeah. that thing. You're like, come on, get him out. And it's a great directorial and, trick. And there know. was that scene in this where uh, they wanted to put a bug in... Uh, in Robert Hansen's car. So they had Ryan Phillippe take him off to do something at, in his car, and uh, then they searched through Robert Hansen's something car. Something was fucked up with and, the car, right? Yeah, he had noticed there was weird stuff going on with the radio, which is kind of what triggered uh, Chris Cooper's character that something was going on, not to the point where he stopped doing what he was doing, but he thought that maybe that was something, maybe his car was being bugged. But while him and Ryan Phillippe are out, Dennis Haysbert's like searching the back of his car and he finds guns. And he was obsessed with Catherine Zeta Jones. Remember, he had yeah. Catherine Zeta Jones movies. He found yeah. like the entrapment DVDs and stuff that like was a that. Good so one. It, was, it, was, it was very strange. Is that the one where she uh, shimmied under the laser? Movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, there was another scene where he had to like steal something from uh, a coded from his phone or his computer. And Robert Hansen had to uh, go get his. Uh, 
uh, picture taken for like the wall of uh, the FBI wall and everything. Yeah, yeah. And Robert Hansen like it was like, taking too long. It was taking too long. Pissed. So he says, "I'm done with this," and he walks away. And then you realize, "Oh, Ryan Phillippe's he's not done, and he's, he's got to do this." Yeah. And then he dropped water on the ground. He's yeah. got to clean it up, and lots of stuff like that. But some of the most enjoyable stuff was watching where he did his drop. Mm-hmm. Remember, he would go to the park. park it was yep. like a Kiwanis Park or something. or something like that. And he would he would go deep into the park, and he would go over a bent, over a bridge, and then at the end of the bridge, he would stick something underneath, and then he would take like a chalk thing and put it at the front of the park on the sign. Mm-hmm. So once the chalk was there, he knew his handler knew the thing was there, and it was like most or a lot of spies, or at least what we hear from a lot of spies, this was my last job, I yeah. swear. And you kind of the way this was kind of designed, you they kind were pushing of, him out. Sort yeah. of. He was getting kind of. It'll be a little spoiler here, but if you know the true story, it's not like it's a big spoiler here. Is learn your history. Is, is that uh, uh, he gets caught and so man, y- y- your stomach kind of drops for him, even yeah. though you're kind of rooting for Ryan Phillippe and yeah. you're rooting for Chris Cooper to go down. But when he comes down, he gets to his car, and then people start coming out of nowhere. And man, he plays it really well, where you could just tell the blood just flows out of his out of his face and he realizes can do that. as an actor, he's good. Yep, and he's even talking to them in the car, and uh, he's he's talking to Dennis Haysbert. Remember, he tells him, he says, "You must be real happy." And Dennis Haysbert just shakes his head. And he says, "This is a bad day for everyone, Rob." He, he says, "You know, this is a bad day for the department." He says, "You know how this is going to make the FBI look?" I said, "We were all on the same team," and then he said, "You were literally selling." Uh, goods to the Russians. You know, yeah. he had Russian handlers and everything. And it, it was an intense, Just intense like movie, man. <laughs> I know. See, this is how it's going to go down. The blood will... His, his, his face will return. His face will return. His hair will come, come... Get a normal color. <laughs> He'll start sweating the orange. He'll see yeah. a big puddle of orange at his feet. <laughs> and his Russian handles will come out. Oh, poop. <laughs> They must have a P tape on him. I think. That's what that's what Tom Arnold keeps kicking in there, saying, he says, "I know what I got." He did that a P-tape. bunch of competitions with with the with the he, he owned the Miss America, well, yeah. World America. Miss well, that uh, what's that Giselle or who, who is the girl that uh, Tom that Epstein's wife? no Epstein's uh, girl that they just got oh, snatched? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She's the one. They gave her paper clothes. You see that? They gave her paper clothes in jail, so she ain't hanging herself like supposedly Epstein did. Yeah, right. <laughs> but she's got paper clothes, so now they're gonna have a real hard time because she knows everything. Thing. And why wouldn't you give it all up for a lesser sentence? Fuck yeah. You want me to talk? I will sing. Get me a microphone. Yeah. <laughs> I want a house in Nantucket. Yeah, I want a house in some place and you'll never see me again. And it's she's like, people are saying, well, they should give her bail. Yeah, right. Bail. You'll They're not giving her, her bail. Or yeah. she'll jump off a cliff. One of the she's two. like, I wasn't hiding. I said, yeah. See, when you know the uh, the stuff that's like key for spy films, too, if you know information, you are valuable. Either they're going to kill you. They went to the realtor that... She bought that house in New Hampshire. Really? And uh, the late, she said she had one request before she bought it. She wanted to know the flight patterns over the house. Yeah. Because normal people ask that shit. <laughs> it's a rural city in New Hampshire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah she's going down, so it'll be oh, interesting. She's going to take some of the royals with it. It'll be too. St. Oh, yeah. Andrew. Which, uh, hey. Hey, fuck if those that's guys. what it is, they're going to take the Clintons down. They're going to take yeah, all, everybody take the down. down. I mean, if, if, if you're dirty and you're you're connected yeah. with child sex trafficking, screw you. You Don't know, get me started. Screw you. Don't get me started. Or I'll have to spy on somebody. I know, man. Uh, <laughs> I'll go all number two on this. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> okay, so number two, and this was we worked the born identity into uh, pod number one of the spy films. I don't think we did a born movie on this uh, on the second pod, but on the third one, we're definitely going to bring him back to the. Uh, I wouldn't. It's not the last one. We thought it was the last one, and then they came out with Born Legacy, and, and then they came out with the Jason Bourne. I haven't seen the Jason. I bought Bourne it. Yet. I bought it. I haven't watched it yet, so I do own it. But uh, 
We're going to talk about the Bourne Ultimatum. I forgot how good this one was. Oh, I watched really good, man. I love all three of those, man. The two I, I love one, all four of them. The, the four two I've was seen. Good. I would put them in the order of this. Well, I would four put was them, good because one, of Carl Urban. Three. The new one. Uh, Legacy. Two, yeah. And then I haven't seen. And, them. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think I'd go with that. I would go with that. But I love the scene in number two with the cars when it getting t bows. Oh yeah, when and the tunnel. T-bows in the tunnel. And Carl Urban was the kind of the uh, the guy that was after him. It yeah. was really good. But this one, man, this one is the one with Albert Finney, right? Yeah, that had Albert Finney at the end, and it was basically the whole thing that was breaking down to. Uh, we thought Treadstone was the big thing, but now they've introduced Black Briar, which is another kind of level of yeah. what was going on. I mean, on this with- is a. If you took the name off it and called it a James Bond film, yeah, it's a James Bond movie. Yeah, really, they could. But they, it's kind of grittier though. Yeah, I mean, th- these are all based the on Robert Ludlum. Awesome, L- Robert Ludlum books. Scenes. Greengrass knows how to film a fight. Oh yeah, yeah, great guy. Paul Greengrass because it started with uh, the guy from Go. What's his name? Doug Lyman did the first one, mm-hmm. and then Paul Greengrass did all the other ones. He knows and, how to uh, do. He a really does. Scene. He does. He does a really great job with these movies. And I mean, they had several scenes that I can talk about how great they were. I love that first scene where he's trying to talk the journalist into where oh, to go in and the it crowd. Was a long scene. God, it, it was, was such so a great good. scene. All you have to do is yeah. So somebody's after the reporter because the reporter is coming out with like like he was most writing a. a story about Jason Bourne basically you, you from You could not pay me to be an investigative journalist in in certain I think things. I'm going to go after the Catholic Church this week. Okay, you know what? <laughs> Nothing's going to happen to me. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and that's what was going on here. You know that he was digging too deep. He exposed Jason Bourne, but Jason Bourne didn't really matter. He was exposing different stuff that Jason Bourne didn't even know about. So obviously Jason Bourne found him and like got him on the phone and like I hear you've been uh, writing stories about me and everything. Not in like I'm going to kill you type of way. Like I need to talk to you. You might yeah. have information in that some, I need to know, but you're I mean, in trouble like, right now. Trying to fill in blanks. For it was very past. similar to like uh, to like Neo and Matrix, where Morpheus is on the phone with him and saying, yeah. "Turn right, turn left, yeah. go out the window now," type of thing. And that's what this guy had to do. And the guy just at one moment didn't listen to Jason, what Jason told him yeah. to do. Yeah. If you would just t- listen to what I told you to do and done it. That wouldn't happen. I mean, he got you so far. <laughs> Why wouldn't you think he was? It was a great scene, man. And I loved uh, Jason Statham. Uh, Jason Statham. Uh, Jason uh, Strahan. Uh, no, uh, John Strahan. Uh, damn, what's his name? The guy from Sneakers. Strahan. It's not Strahan. Uh, uh, Stratham. David. Stratham. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm close. David Strahan? 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 It's not Strahan. That's a, that's Michael. <laughs> but it's the guy from Sneakers, and uh, he, he was really good. Was Joan Allen in this at all? Did she come back for a little bit? I think she did, right? Who was she? She was the, she the blonde the blonde Pond, woman that Pam was... Uh, Bondi? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, she was in most of this Yeah, movie. she was in most of them. I don't think she was in the first one. The first yeah, but she one, was in the first one only had She Chris was in Cooper. a lot of this movie. Yeah. And uh, I love the scene where... Uh, where David Strathan, 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 not Strahan, Strathan, uh, where he was like, tells Jay, he's on the phone with Jason, and he says, I'm in your office. He says, like, I doubt that. And he says, oh, yeah, why? He says, because yeah. if you were in your office, we'd be having this conversation face-to-face. And then he realizes, holy shit. Because his safe got broken. And then he realizes, he's back at the headquarters. Go back and get him and everything. And it was such an exciting kind of uh, thing. I don't know if you noticed it, but uh, so when they sent the agents after him, First off, that chase on Muba- in in oh, Morocco on that's the rooftop. That's the scene we need to talk about because the best the, camera, oh, the best steady cam operator look, ever. I tell you what, so the the stunt man jumped <laughs> and the cameraman was obviously stunt man too. Jumped yeah. behind him, it looks almost like the stunt man 
cameraman didn't make the, through the window because he cut it. Yeah, I've seen the making of it, and I think and he, he, and he, he, did. he did. He did make it, and it's probably one of my top ten stunts. Oh, it it, it seems be. simple because it's just a stuntman jumping from one window to another, I mean, but the fact that you up. have to dr- the jump, it's one thing for the actor or the down and through a window. I can jump on. Obviously, it wasn't. Uh, I mean, this wasn't a Tom Cruise movie, so it wasn't Tom Cruise doing. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't. What's his name doing it? Matt, uh, Matt Damon. But that camera operator <laughs> definitely did it man and it was insane that he just jumped from one window to another and that steady cam operator jumped with him and it just it was probably a three second shot but it was so good it took four days to do oh man definitely it took a long time that was an intense scene that lasted for probably yeah. what well, 15 minutes the end of that scene they were Julia fighting Stiles in the apartment too. we should mention julia styles they were fighting in the too. apartment <coughs> coronavirus <laughs> corona Keeping it all in my pen. Keep keep it, keep it all in your towel there. Um, you shouldn't. That's the problem with having allergies during I know. coronavirus. It's I know. Like, we had our I friend. To, like I'm afraid to sneeze because I'm afraid people are just gonna oh, freak yeah, the yeah, fuck yeah. out. Yeah. Hey, I saw someone take their mask off to sneeze the other day. I was like, what the what? hell? At I least said, sneeze in the ear. Goddamn mask. I know. I was like, that defeats the purpose, doesn't it? <laughs> that fight scene in the apartment that ended that yeah rooftop scene was. It was as good as the one in the movie before in Germany when he went to Germany, fought. Oh, the uh, first one, uh, the when he fought Born the, Identity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the with uh, what's her name was in the scene with yeah. him. Yeah, that was an intense because that's the first time we had seen that happen. And then this this kind of uh, series got famous for that for those close combat kind of yeah. uh, I'll break your arm kind of the way the old uh, Seagal movies were that you knew that he was going to have a close combat fight with knives or just with his hands and at some point someone's going to compound fracture someone's arm and that's kind of how these scenes were what was great about it is after that first one not even after the first one in the middle of the first one we realized how many kind of sleeper cells they were so you knew that jason was going to go up to guys that might not quite be as good as him but they were almost equally on par with him him. yeah they certainly thought they were i mean clive the one the one guy well here's the cool thing that ties this movie into the clive owen one yeah is uh, is at, during that crazy car chase yeah. where the guy, the assets, is coming after him. He has Bourne has a chance to shoot him, and he doesn't. And later on in the movie, the guy's chasing Bourne at the end, and he has him in his sights. And he says, why didn't you pull the trigger? And he's like... Oh, he he gives him the same line. He's like, yeah. look what they make you give. Yeah. And it's See same, what they take from you yeah. or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. It's the same line that uh, same Clive Owen said. Clive when, it's really good dying. if you really had watched the whole yeah. series and remember that. I, I caught that the last time I watched it, too. It really does kind of bookend the whole thing. But it's, it was cool to see him go back to where it all started yeah. and get some resolution because you didn't know he basically volunteered. Volunteered. I mean, that was stuff. the big he thing like, with it, too. He always thought he was convinced to go into this You're program. You're like, yeah, who forced you to do it? No one forced you. You yeah. wanted to do this shit. Yeah. I know you signed up. You know, God damn it. <laughs> can I still be pissed off at this now? Can I, oh, can I just apologize if you I'm people? sorry. <laughs> I'm just going to let myself out now. Well, And I thought it was brilliant them coming out with the Born Legacy because it made sense. You know, it made sense that they had so many of sleeper course. cells. You could do they this could, um, series forever and, it, ever. and it's weird that they even had to call it Born Legacy because they wanted the, that connect with it. I mean, they didn't they have wanted to. that marketing. And Jeremy Renner was great in it. I would love to see Jeremy I, Renner You know what I liked it. about that movie, and I don't want to get too far on tangent, but... That drone one, man. That I, drone well, scene. That, no, I know, but the favorites. element I liked about it is they had to take the pills. Yeah, the pills. I forgot that didn't happen until uh-uh. uh, Legacy, huh? Yep. Interesting. Yeah, I definitely have to watch the uh, the Jason Bourne one now that uh, 
hey, use it on your wild card. Uh, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Unless it turns out to be shit. <laughs> all right, this next one here, man, one of my favorite actors of all time, we got him on this pod a couple times, is uh, Michael Caine. And uh, this is a it, this is a star-studded. You ever want to see a star-studded, star-studded cast play yeah. Nazis? Yeah, or this just is, people that are not their regular accents, and they're not doing great jobs at their accents in this movie. It's not like they're, they're uh, big forte. I mean, Duvall did, did an all right job. Um, uh, the guy from Halloween. Oh, yeah, Donald Pleasance. You almost didn't seem like Donald Pleasance when you're watching it. Yeah. You were like, is that him? You know who... Uh, we haven't mentioned the movie yet. So, <laughs> 1976. <clears throat> excuse me. The Eagle Has Landed. I think I introduced you to this movie. You did. I think I, think I have your copy. I, I think found that's... it in here again. Yep. I think I, I have your saw copy. saw a war movie, and then I read yeah. who was in it, and I was like... I was I like, well, you got to watch this sucker. Yeah. Yeah, huge cast. You know who my favorite person in this whole movie was? Larry Hagman, man. Holy oh. crap, dude. Larry Hagman was great in this and movie. I mean, I don't know how spoiler we're gonna get with this. But oh, you could do that with him. He was a he was a. I didn't expect it to no. happen. And he but he was like a, he came in like Patton. You know how wild Patton was, yeah. and he was yeah. just he I'm was take control of the situation. Going, but he, he wasn't competent enough. That's no. the problem. Yeah, that was the thing. He didn't know what situation he was going into, but he like grabbed his own jeep and he was like, "I think they're Nazis down there." So he just drives down there, and then he gets shot at, and then he drives back, and he, he gets some men. He gets and then a he, whole bunch of people killed. And, it, pretty he gets his whole platoon killed. Really, oh, I mean, oh, he, he really was them. kind of incompetent. But the uh, his delivery and his uh, dialogue, and he was just old enough. The guy from was, Taxi was in it. Remember the guy from Taxi in Greece? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, Jeff Conway, man. Yeah, yeah he was in it. Uh, Who Treat else was Williams in it? Is in it? Treat Williams really good, really young in it. Uh, Michael Caine. One Who of, else? One of um, one of what's his names? Duvall. Yeah, Duvall was only in the beginning and kind no, of the who's end. Who's the guy that played the Irish? Oh, uh, oh yeah, yeah, uh, Donald Sutherland. Donald Sutherland with red hair too, yeah, with a thick. <laughs> and Irish Jenny, uh, Jenny uh, Aguiar, who's uh, the girl from Logan's Run, played the girlfriend in that movie. Oh, what's that? Yeah, that's a girl from Logan's Run and from uh, Mar- uh, Captain America: Civil War. She's great, man. I loved her in Logan's Run. Uh, always really, really great. She was in another movie that I really liked. Uh, yeah, she was great. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about this? It was told from like the point of view of the Nazis, really, yeah, pretty much, and they were. It was they made, Nazis they, made, they went out of their way to make Michael Caine seem like a good Nazi. Yeah. Because remember, he had him save that Jewish girl at the yep, beginning. Yep, at the very beginning. And it then was he like at the prison got camp. Him sent. So it starts out with Michael Caine and his platoon look like they're coming back, or company look like they're coming mm-hmm. back from something. And, and they stop somewhere, and they get out, and this Nazi woman runs away from, like, a prison a camp, prison. like Auschwitz or something. Yeah, and uh, he grabs her and puts her on... And, Puts her on a train and then like punches out another officer. And wishes her good luck. And yeah. Then she ends up getting shot on the train. <laughs> yeah. And then so the commanding officer takes him and his men into custody mm-hmm. and they get sent to a prison work. It, they were on a boat yeah. in northern France or something. And uh, all this while, Duval. So <laughs> it's such a ridiculous Somebody plan. came up with, a, someone suggested in a meeting with Hitler, we should kidnap. We should kidnap Winston Churchill to get better terms because they kind of yeah. figured the war was going to mm-hmm. over for them. Like, yep. they, and they thought they knew where Winston Churchill was, and they were like, oh, they this had is gotten easy. the cable. But even everyone that but, was reading the orders, they were like, this is crazy. Everybody <laughs> wanted it shot down, so they gave it to uh, Duvall and said, you know, do a feasibility study and then stick it in a drawer. Yeah. And then the more he starts, the more he starts thinking about it, he's like, this is possible. This is possible. Yeah. And... Uh, he says there's only one man that can lead this, and it, and at the same time, uh, what's his name was getting sent to a prison camp. Yeah, but then they had to give him a pass. 
Um, it was great when they, so they ended up like uh, taking out a was it British or the Polish? Was it the Polish platoon or something? It was, they pretending to, they were pretending, pretending to be Polish. Be Polish yeah, which would would have so they been took on out a side. whole platoon and they stole their uniforms. They stole their uniforms. They put their helmets on and everything. And almost immediately, Treat Williams came up and everything and like greeted him. And he's and Michael Caine like changed his accent. And he's got his like regular Michael Caine accent on. And he's talking to them yeah. and everything. And everything seemed legit. And obviously it wasn't, and they were held up in this huge kind of mansion waiting for their next set of orders and everything, and that's kind of when... Uh, well, the, they were doing... They were practicing drills, remember? And the, and yeah. the townspeople were, were kind of fascinated with it, and everything probably would have gone fine, except, yeah. remember, that little kid fell into the water wheel. That's right. That's and right. The, all his men were wearing that's their right. Nazi uniforms about under that. their Polish uniforms. Which is stupid. Well, here's the reasoning. They were like... If they need to strip off at any We can point. strip off, and we won't be treated as spies, which goes against our podcast. Yeah. But <laughs> because if you, if you, if they had been wearing Polish uniforms and that's it, yeah. they would have been considered spies. But since they had their Nazi uniforms underneath, mm-hmm. they thought they would be given different treatment if they were caught, and he yeah. didn't want to be shot summarily. Yeah. So during that accident, one of yeah, their uniforms, one of the uniforms got ripped off. off by the water wheel, and someone's screaming, "Oh, he's a Nazi!" And then they're looking at the other guys, and they just like take him out, and yeah. you're like, "Sit." Where then they our cover is blown. In the church. Yeah, and that's when Larry Hagman got word of it, and he'd be like, those guys you thought were Polish down there, they're Nazis, and we're going to go the, take them out. That scene was one of my favorite scenes. Well, the that woman the that scene, shot her, she, I don't, she's a famous older actress. I just don't remember her name. That shot who? Larry oh, oh. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't that Jenny girl, huh? It was no, somebody it else. Was, oh, that's right. It, it was, was the, the other handler. girl. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I haven't looked her up, but yeah, she was kind of famous too. Yeah, so <laughs> that's our spoiler. Larry Hagman was just too gung ho and up went the up stairs the stairs like up him <laughs> and shot him right through the helmet. Yep. It was a great effect, great shot. Right, I mean, you don't get to see, you don't expect, and you don't get to see Larry Hagman get shot in the forehead. I mean, he is shot right in the head, and just the the he died well too. It was a great death. Well, scene. remember he he tumbled down the stairs, but he had pulled the pin on his hand grenade, yep. so the hand grenade. Goes blew, off and blew uh, his body in a million pieces. Oh man, it was really good, and, and uh, all the way to the end, man, where uh, Michael Caine's one of the well, nah. Story? We'll hold that off because it was a really good scene. But, but he was like infiltrating where he knew he knew Winston Churchill was going to be in the it building. It just makes man. you go oh, <laughs> in a way. But I was kind of happy with it. Yeah, oh, I was very happy. But yeah. you were like. Oh, that's... It was kind of a twist. It was really, really good. So if, if you're into older kind of war films, and like like Dave said, star-studded to the hilt, man. A lot of these guys, super, super young, man, to get to see these guys. And in roles you don't get to see. You never get to see uh, a you lot of these Larry guys. Larry Hagman play that uh, No, no, never pl- see Larry Hagman. You don't get to see Robert Duvall play Nazis or Michael Caine. I mean, that's not like their normal thing. It's probably the first times that they do it. There was somebody... Uh, Recently, there's a lot of people, you know, uh, you you shouldn't, a lot of these, uh, back in the day, a lot of these white actors playing kind of minorities, and it's kind of a no-no now, which which I'm completely for, because there's so many minority, great minority actors, why not uh, cast uh, yeah. uh, an Indian to play an Indian, or... Uh, or, or just a Scottishman to play a Scottishman. I understand uh, it's difficult when you're like Irish or English and you can make that transition pretty well. But there was a lot of them they were pulling up, and one of the big ones they pulled up, and I don't know if anyone's seen this, but you should pull a clip up. It's friggin' amazing. Is uh, they did a Genghis Khan movie where John Wayne played Genghis Khan. Really? It is the most insane it's the most thing. The most racist thing and, you've and, ever seen? It's just John Wayne in this case. I'm Genghis Khan, and I'm gonna, and I'm gonna invade the Mongols. And I'm like, That's what awesome. the? 
hell is this? It almost sounds so ridiculous it can't be true, but you pull up John Wayne, Genghis Khan, and just laugh and your And it's ass not off. because they couldn't find someone to play that role. It's no, they, couldn't, they, just, they couldn't find the, a, a the name. name. Yeah. They needed John Wayne's name yeah, to sell You put movie. John Wayne's name, you put yeah. uh, Tom Hanks's name. People are going to go see it for that. I understand it's it. Like when they had Sean Connery playing uh, oh, yeah, we the Spanish. In the Highlander. In the Highlander. His <laughs> son changed his accent at all. <laughs> oh, I'm from I'm from Spain. I'm a Spaniard. Can't you tell? <laughs> and then the French guy <laughs> plays a Scottish person. Uh, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous, man. It's like, people, wait a minute. People were more bizarre. forgiving back then. <laughs> All right, this next one, huge movie in our oh. youth, man. Such a fun movie, and it was almost, it was almost a little too kind of uh, dark in, in it was different very parts. Dark as far uh, as it, when I was a it kid, was a kid watching movie, it. sort of. Yeah, and I was like ni- eight or nine, nine years old, Elliot? probably seeing it. Yeah, Elliot uh, Henry Thomas played, Who played this. Played the in, little uh, girl. So 1984, Cloak and Dagger. Oh, great! And movie. Uh, if you're an '80s fan, probably still holds up. Oh, it does. I just watched it, and it, uh, Dabney Coleman, dual role for Dabney Coleman, that little girl. She had done a lot of stuff, but she had not. I don't think she had ever been uh, really famous. The other thing I remember her from really well was Twilight Zone, the movie. She was the one that was in the plane with John Lithgow, and yeah, they kept yeah, staring yeah, at him yeah, and everything. Yeah. Uh, and uh, basically, it was when you really break it down, it's really dark because what it is is this little kid with like some uh, with father issues so much that he's almost he's got an imaginary he's, friend. He's got an imaginary friend, but he's almost got like a psychotic break where he's happened. If you really look at it and to the. 2020 eyes looking back you were like this kid needs help man somebody needs to help this yeah. kid I mean, where back was, in the day was like oh, he just has wasn't imaginary really an friend. imaginary friend he was seeing this guy he was seeing shit really so what it was was his father was in the military but he was so busy he, he was uh, busy like Elon Musk <laughs> he was out there he was making stuff happen and so um Henry Thomas's character was a little kid who was just obsessed with his dad and obsessed with the, uh, with like the the spy kind of scene and everything. Where he's completely constructed a character named Jack Flack, which is played by his dad. It's it's played by Dabney Coleman. So Dabney yeah, Coleman not only wanted, plays the dad, he also plays uh, Jack his Flack. His dad was his imaginary friend, but it was he, he was, was a, a hero. Super spy. He was a super. He was spy everything his dad really wasn't. Yeah, or it, that he wishes his, his dad, dad was, been, yeah. and he he would let him put him in situations that his father wouldn't put him in and and really he was making him do some stuff like there were scenes where Henry Thomas was getting in trouble and uh, Jack Flack's character's like you gotta you gotta take him out you gotta run now or do this it was basically his conscience telling him what he had to do but uh, it was a fantastic movie it had, it had a cool like Video games were really big. This was very Atari 5200. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All the cassettes were 5200 yep. so they must have been a big kind of uh, 5200 was the and that was the, the real one. when it came out, it, man. Yeah, the, I loved 5200, but it it was like Hendrix. It came on the scene, and it was like, it was only on the scene for like two Once years, Nintendo and it was gone. It came, yep. it kind of overshadowed But if you owned a 5200, I mean, it was way better than 2600. Do you 2600. remember our, the story about us getting one? Yeah, you could tell again. That was It was a great story. Our I was dad, young. I was young, so was I was just weird. Our seven dad eight. loved video games. Yeah, he was just a... When you're a, a kid, you, when you were a kid, you don't look as your dad as being kind of young as he was. But when you look back when we were that age, and he was probably he played, 28, he was he probably played, 28 or 30. But he played video games until 
He played that Ultima Online probably till oh, he died. Oh, he became I mean, a he became a really big computer guy. Where the point where he was taking them apart and putting them back for fun. So I think he he missed his calling as being like a computer programmer. Yeah, I think he, he always liked he tech. Done it. Every we always had the latest tech, Micro- yep. microwaves and dishwashers and, and VCRs, VCRs and, uh, and cable what, TV, ham radios, and type yeah. of stuff like that. And, uh, um, CDs. So basically, he heard about this system and he wanted one. Yeah. But we had already had a 2600, yeah. but it was it was clunky. It was you know? clunky, and he wanted one, and... Uh, you went with him. I went with him. We got in the service truck, and I remember it being snowy out. We left in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. We went to, like, at least eight or nine stores. Yep. And I knew where and you had gone. I remember what out. you were looking we for. We finally... We were in Rhode Island where we found it. Yeah. At a Toys R Us. We went in there, and he went to buy one at the counter because, remember, they used to have the entertainment section would have its own register mm-hmm. so i went up there he's like saw that in the display case he's like i want to get one of those and he's like man we are out and he's like how much for that one he's like i can't sell the display case he's like i'll give you a hundred bucks and i'll buy four games if you sell me that one <laughs> that, without was, the that box, was his classic style without the box <laughs> i'll pay full price and and give you a hundred dollars yeah. and i'll buy four games yeah and the guy's like okay yeah because he was gonna pocket it. This wasn't back. This wasn't today where you'd be on camera and being like, "Wait, you just accepted hundred dollars from a customer?" Yeah, yeah. I'd be like, "Yes, you can have it." So you guys came home and you had Pac Man and yeah, Space Invaders great. and Centipede and everything, and we were just Defender. obsessed with it. And so that was a big element to this. It, there was no Cloak and Dagger game, but they had Atari made one just for the thing. But uh, that was some of my favorite stuff where he hung out at that video store with uh, William Forsythe. Really, really young William Forsythe. He had like Coke bottle glasses and a full beard and he was really overweight. And you were like, you're watching it and you're like, is that William Forsythe? And uh, so what happened is the... there was a lot of spy information put on a specific cartridge, and well, his cartridge wasn't and, working right. He took it to him to see if he well, could no, fix it because or it something. had been passed off to him. Very similar, like Inner Space. Remember in Inner Space where the guy in the mall dropped the uh, mm-hmm. stuck the uh, needle in Martin Short. It was almost similar where he came face to face with Henry Thomas and he stuck the the cartridge in Henry Thomas's backpack, and he, Henry Thomas found it and he was like, "What the hell is this?" So he brought it to his guy and he was like, "There's something weird with this game," and he got all the way to the end of it and at the end. It was like this was so earlier. It was like, and they were dumbing it down for kids. It wasn't like stealth. Yeah. It was secret plans for a stealth airplane. Yeah. But they said secret invisible airplane. <laughs> they really had like put it out on Front Street yeah, what it was yeah. for kids to understand. And then right when William Forsythe understood uh, what it was, I remember the uh, it was like top secret and it was blinking red. And it was a great, beautifully shot scene where you're looking at William Forsythe, looking at the screen, and the flashing is happening on his glasses. And then you see the reflection of someone coming into the uh, room from behind him and shoots William Forsythe in the head. Yeah. And it's the guy who's been chasing Henry Thomas the yeah. whole time. So now you know, oh, shit. And it becomes this, like, cat and mouse game basically in Texas because a yeah. lot of it was in San Antonio. And it was at the... Uh uh, the no Alamo. basement in the Alamo. It wasn't at the basement, but <laughs> maybe if he had gone to the basement, yeah. it would have been safe. Maybe there is a basement. But he had heard, and he he's like, the whole movie, he's like in communication with his little friend on the walkie-talkie trying yeah. to get information. Good luck and, making uh, those things his, work. Dabney Coleman's at work, you know, he's a he's a fighter he's a, pilot. He's an uh, he Air Force. Pilot. He was an Air Force pilot, yeah. And so he gets phone calls every once in a while from his son. He thinks his son's just doing his own games and everything. He says, stop playing around uh, and uh, go home or whatever. And he's Basically, like, no, really, I'm in trouble. Basically, they in their own hands. They get on the bus. I remember, I mean, my favorite scene 
is coming up with the uh, the Alamo. The, no, well, with the, the Alamo. Yeah, well, yeah. they happened in the Alamo. So he realizes that there's going to be a switch. He knows the bad guys have the disc, and that they're going to make the switch with a couple spies. And all he knows is that one of the spies is missing a couple fingers on their hand. And so he's at the Alamo, and he sees the bad guy drop his like camera case. And he was, and he's like, "That's the guy that he dropped his camera case and everything." And uh, then this old couple come over to him and are going to protect him. And he was like, no, I, that guy's uh, doing something bad. I'm, uh, he's chasing me, and I need to get that thing from him. So the old guy switches case with, cases with him, and they get in the car with him, and they were going to, like, take him to safety, These this helpful old couple. So and it's thought. great. And he was like, he was like, do you want to tell me why I just sacrificed my camera f- uh, for this cloak and daz- dagger thing? He's like, it's not really cloak and dagger. It's like a secret thing for the secret stealth plane and everything. He's like, whoa, that sounds heavy. And he says, well, what do you know about it? He says, I don't know anything about these guys except that one of the spies is only missing a couple hands. And then... Uh, it- and then the woman takes her gloves off and says, can I see the cartridge? And holds her hands out. There's only like two fingers yeah. on her hand. And he's like, oh, shit. He's like, he just walked in the hand of the spies and everything. And they were going to kill him. They like yeah. th- put him in the trunk. It was cool, too, because they were like 80-year-old. Well, one of the elements that I loved about it was the fact that Dabney Coleman would appear out of nowhere. Like when yeah. he was locked in the trunk, all yeah. of a sudden Dabney Coleman's in the trunk with yeah. him. Giving playing, him advice, Playing man. the Jack Flack. He says, we got to get out of here. And he like kicks the seat down and escapes. And then they had and that really cool such a great, down by the canal Oh yeah. Scene. It, it really showcased it really showcased Texas and uh, specifically San Antonio that area down by the river remember he jumps on one of the boats and then yep. the guy's chasing him get on the yep. boat and then he has to jump off it was really cool but that whole end sequence where uh, Dabney Coleman, you realize that the old couple take him hostage at the airport, and they get on a plane, and it's one of those old school. We were, we want a pilot. We want yeah. out. He's he's gonna take us to Cuba or whatever. He got the hero and walk out of the flames. It, it was right? really good. So the. Uh, Dabney Coleman, they get Dabney Coleman to come in and realize that he's going to be the pilot. And Dabney Coleman knows his son's on the plane and everything. It was really, really great. Man, it was such a fantastic movie. He got movie. to see his dad be the hero he always wanted. Yep, it was great, man. It was really, really Very cool. Good. It, it is a little dark, but if, if it you holds got, up better than you, you think got, it would. If you got kids, I mean, this is, it's probably no more dark than like Goonies. No, I mean, they're in danger. He's in danger constantly, and that, some, and that type of there's thing. There's some killing, but they don't really show it on screen as much. Yeah, not as bad, but I mean, if you're a 10 or 12-year-old, I think it's old enough for you, for sure. I mean, nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get into this next one. Let's talk some code breaking here. Nice. And uh, this is number five, and this is the Imitation Game 2014. Yep. So this is about Alan Turing. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that uh, that machine, what, the Enigma machine. The Enigma machine, basically... The Nazis invented a way... True story. To Absolute true story. The Nazis invented a way to send codes back and forth, and they built this machine where you typed in... The code switched every day. Every 24 hours, you fed the information into the, into the machine, and it coded it in such a random way that unless you had the sequence for that day, you would never be able to... It was un- it's considered unbreakable. unbreakable, yeah. Well, they got Alan Turing, who's like a genius, uh, to the point of being was he autistic? I mean, I think he or was a little bit or some, one of those. Yeah, he he had he, some they, abilities, and no one liked him except for uh, the girl from uh, from Pirates of the Caribbean. She was great in this. Movie. Oh, she was so good in this. But his team hated him because he was just. I mean, very, he was an arrogant prick. He was very arrogant, and he really was not looking into having fun, and he just wanted to be focused on doing this type of thing, and they didn't agree completely with his methods of how he thought he was going to break this thing and he and was he, like no he this wasn't is a how it's going to be fan done of chain of command either didn't he write a letter to 
Yeah, to, Charles Dance played the uh, his. He wrote of, a letter to the the guy above who his commanding officer yeah, was. Yeah, Charles was Dance. Like, and uh, he played a. It's weird seeing Charles Dance play assholes in so many things now. He never plays. He played an asshole in Godzilla. Played an asshole in uh, Last Action Hero. I think the only movie I've ever seen, uh, obviously Game of Thrones. The only thing I've seen him play a non-asshole wizard was probably Alien Three as the Doctor. Yeah. I mean, that might be the only thing I've seen him play a non-asshole. Yeah, that's the only thing. And uh, he he, obvi- he does it well. I mean, that's the reason he's in it's it. Everything. An but uh, there's a couple of great elements in this movie. One. Of the one of the best elements is them breaking the machine and realizing that they can't tell anyone. They can't. No, or, no. It wasn't that they couldn't tell anyone. They, they could couldn't not use it to solve too many different. They couldn't save too many ships because if they did, then the Ganassis would know they had the machine. Yeah. And the what one, they did is they had captured a couple of machines yeah. from submarines that were that the the navy, the British navy, had sunk. Mm-hmm. So they had machines to, but without without. The ability they had the machine and they could like reverse engineer it, yeah. but they they couldn't figure out how they were switching the codes. So Torin actually built a machine which would I guess in today's it would be like using AI or using supercomputer to just to crunch numbers. It would be impossible for humans to do yeah. in a twenty four hour period. Now the 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 scene that was really great is they realized that the Germans were going to bomb oh, yeah. a boat like the next morning and it just happened to be that somebody on Turing's team's brother was yeah. on that boat and he realizes holy shit we got the, the brothers like we got to tell somebody we're like we can't we can't we yeah. can't tell anybody but we basically have to hope that that ship doesn't get blown up because we can't bring notice to the fact that we know how to break the code they'll figure out that if yeah. we intervene they'll know that we know how to break the code and we'll be back to square one and so obviously Turing is he's thinking the needs of the uh, many outweigh we the needs, needs of the few. few. You know, he was he was really thinking the old uh, Star Trek <laughs> parable there. Oh, Gandhi didn't uh, say that. <laughs> was it Gandhi <laughs> or a Vulcan thing? I don't know. <laughs> and it was if he wasn't unliked before, he was even unliked more. And another element to this was that he was gay, and, and man, they use it against oh, him at the God, end. God, it, it, it wasn't. It was a big part of the movie, but not until the end when you realized what they had done to him. Because what's her name offered to marry him? Yeah, and they loved each other, you know. But they he loved was each other, and, but like uh, brother and But obviously, he was gay. He was it wasn't going to be the most fulfilling life that he ever had. But this was a time period where that was looked down upon that so much that they ordered him to have chemical castration. Yeah. Oh God, man. I just couldn't fucking imagine being in a time period where, I mean, this isn't even like, uh, the, the time period of conversion camp seems ridiculous. The, even more ridiculous than that, if that's not ridiculous enough, the idea that you chemically castrate somebody because they didn't love uh, the person that you thought they should love, that's just unbelievable to me. I got a question. Is is this the same Alan Turning that they made that the Turing, Turing test about? It, I, it must have been, Probably. right? Yeah. And, and that's not a, I mean, I guess it's a real thing, but they mention it in several movies, too. That's what was Blade Runner was about, was that test that you, you, you would, you would give a person and you would ask them a certain amount of questions and from the questions and the answers that they answer, <laughs> you could tell if the person is the, human or not, or a robot. The Iceman, the guy that played the Iceman. Oh, in uh, Michael Hills. Shannon? Oh no! You're talking about uh, the old Ice Man. Yeah, in you're Beverly talking Hills about uh, or something. Yeah, when he was giving when him that tortoise. Was, yeah, and he's Can like, you, is this "What's part a tortoise?" Of the test? He's kind of like a turtle. <laughs> he <laughs> says, "If you found a turtle in the desert and he was 
uh, upside down would you turn him over and he was like freaking out even ex machina dealt with a lot of that the touring test where he was going to sit uh, across from that uh, female robot ask her questions and see if the answers would identify her as a robot and uh, i always knew that as a touring test and then when i watched this i was like wait is that the same she's a pretty hot yeah. robot oh, oh, man she was a very hot robot <laughs> <laughs> i love ex machina if you haven't seen that i don't know if we've talked to ex machina maybe enough. that might be on my wild card uh, <laughs> uh yeah imitation game was really really good man really great and very engaging and tense like most of these movies are yeah. all right this next one we're gonna do some bond down 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 are you down 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 are you starting the down it doesn't down, sound down, like down, the theme down. to me oh yeah oh yeah, yeah i got you i got you i got you <laughs> one of the kill. best openings man <laughs> or this the opening song, songs man this is funny it, it has to be one of the only bond songs that still gets a ton of radio play live and let die might be the other one Yep. Yep. Those two are probably the because biggest that, ones. And the song holds up. It's a good oh, song. Shit, I yeah. love Duran Duran. I, I love Duran Duran, and I love this movie. We were, this was huge for us. 1985, we have been, if I have to pick one year, I hate not to pick 86 because that's when Big Trouble in Little China is, but 1985 was almost the perfect year for movies. The 80s. You, you'd be amazed. I had so much fun. In the 80s. I did. 80s was a fun time in our life, man. That's probably why I'm obsessed with 80s toys. The 90s. 90s was good. The 90s were okay. I liked them. Our lives changed. Yeah. That was my high school years, and I had it with grunge music, and my musical taste changed and everything in movies. So there was a lot of great stuff. I had a job in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had a job in the 80s. I had responsibilities in the 90s. I had a lot more responsibilities (laughs) Or in the 80s, I just kind of let it happen. And... uh, I really love, and it's not a popular thing to say if you're talking to like a lot of Bond fans that your favorite is Roger Moore, but I mean, my favorite's Roger Moore. I mean, I grew up with him. It's really what it comes down to. He wasn't. I, what I realized about watching this again is he wasn't afraid to bumble a little bit. Yeah, and he was funny, you know? I mean, and there's a lot of the Bonds were not very funny, you know, and he did a lot of that humor really well. If you, um, and it's funny because when you were talking about, um, when you were talking about, uh, the Tesla guy earlier, yeah, Elon Musk. What's his name? Zorin. Yeah, <laughs> you think Zorin's very Musk-like? Elon Musk? Because yeah. remember, he had the robots in his factory that it's were true. making the cart and the chips. It's true, around. and he was a he was an trying entrepreneur. To, he was trying to. I mean, this, this was a great Bond movie. It, it had every element that you wanted. It, it's the opening sequence was awesome. With the, yep. the only, I, the only bat, the only one thing that irked me is playing the Beach Boys song. Halfway through, yeah, that. it was all right, but it, it, it kind of worked with that scene because it opened with that uh, that snow scene where he actually found the dead body of 006 or something like that. 006, man, and uh, then finds a microchip on him, yep. and they they realize that that's this whole movie is surrounded by microchips in Silicon Valley, and uh, the villain was played by the uh, great. Um, Christopher, Christopher Walken. Walken, man. And uh, there's always a sub-villain. The sub-villain was played by the great Grace Jones. She was amazing in this. And the Bond girl was, uh, was amazing in it this. It was so good, man. The, uh, Tanya Roberts as the Bond uh, girl was yep. really great. Was this uh, before Beastmaster or after Beastmaster? After Beastmaster, but not too long after Beastmaster. I think Beastmaster was 82, 83, and this was 85, and uh, she was phenomenal in this. And uh, it really had every element. I like Patrick uh, McGee, who was uh, his kind of a chauffeur in this he had movie. Two, he, two of his good sidekicks got killed. Yeah. Patrick McGee. Yeah. One of the best scenes in that whole movie was him getting it getting in the, the car, car wash. wash. Yeah. When Grace Jones popped but, out of the back uh, seat. She, man. But she did it to, the, to that Asian-American guy later on that was at the docks, was feeding him information. At the docks. Can't remember that scene. He had a handler in San Francisco. Uh-huh. It was an Asian guy. Okay, and uh, he went to leave in his Bronco from 
Tanya Roberts' house, and oh, okay. then Grace yep. Jones got him in the back of That's that. That's right. Too. Check your back seat for Grace Jones. Man, man, one of my favorite scenes is the guy in the uh, blimp at the meeting who didn't oh, want to be a part of this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so what's his name? Uh, Christopher Walken's unveiling his plan, and like every Christopher Walken movie, he has that cadence. He does his thing, and he he's basically giving his Dr. Evil speech. You yeah. know, we're going to rule these microchips world, and we're going to make this much money, and we're going to control the world, and uh, and one guy stands up, and he's and one Asian guy stands up. And he says, "I'm not for this at all." He sounds like you want world domination. He says, "I want nothing to do with this." And Christopher Walken's nice about it. He's like, "That's fine. You don't want anything to do with it. It's cool. I'm gonna have to for this next part. I'm gonna have to ask you to leave the room." And he's like, "That's fine. I'll leave the room." And he says, "My guy, people will escort you out." Grace Jones, and they, the they show him some uh, <laughs> stairs, and they tell him to go down these stairs where you think is a different part of this uh, blimp. And then all of a sudden, the button opens, and the like the the door, the, the door to opens outside. to the sky and the uh, and then the stairs, then the turn, stairs into turn into like a slide and he just pumps out and they drop the and they see him and everyone else in the blimp sees him and he's like anyone else want to leave the meeting and like, no <laughs> no <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a whole horse element uh, horse racing element to this movie too because a lot of it was uh, the ruse was the stables you know at, at one point he he went into the stables. He couldn't just dominate the world with microchips. He had to win <laughs> horse races using <laughs> yeah. microchips, too. But I, I love the secret, like, layer underneath yeah. the stables. And the he, evil, almost Nazi-esque doctor yeah. with the monocle. Uh, he was great, man. He it was, was great. The, the end scene on the Golden Gate the Bridge. The crazy part of this God, whole man, movie that Golden Gate Bridge was great. Was, so they got, had, what they were going to do is they were going to set enough explosives off so that the San Andreas Fault yeah. um, collapsed and flooded all of... Silicon Valley. Yep. So that there was no more tech companies. And, and he would be the only guy. Would be the only would one. Almost like Forrest Gump. Yeah. He had all the shrimp, and now he was in charge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was a perfect. I, I, it was really it was more br- believable a, than a some really else great fucking. Uh, but remember script. what he did when he went down into the mine where they were putting all the explosives? Yeah. Christopher Walken killed all his own men. Yeah. And then sat on the catwalk with an Uzi. Yeah. And it, turned on and Grace was, Jones. Yeah. And Chris Jones, like, I thought he loved me and everything. And then all of a sudden, like, she a, sort of helped. Like a snap of a finger was, like, with Bond. All right, I'll help you. I'll go down there and I'll do this and we'll... She, she died unnecessarily, in my opinion, but... Yeah, and but that great scene on the Golden Gate Bridge, man, when they get tied up and... Uh, yeah, talk about heights, uh, phobic. Such a great movie, man. It really, really was great. And oh, another kind of uh, quick, fun story is I remember being in grade school when this movie came out and I watched it and I had a book of it and it was a uh, it was a choose your own adventure book for it the only choose your own adventure book that i remember really well was view to a kill and i remember and we used to call them which way books back in the day which way books and choose your own adventure same thing i remember one i really liked it was almost like indiana jones yeah yeah and the perfect for that time any adventure stories is perfect for you so if you're listening you don't know what choose your adventure books it's really brilliantly done and i don't know if they still make these but uh, so what you do is you get to a certain point you get to like page six i'm in the tunnel and you have two ways to go do you do do you go right where you know that that it ends here or do you go left and hope that it something opens something up so it, it says if you choose left go to page, page eight and if you if you choose right go to page 16 yeah. and so depending where you went it it altered your kind of where the story yeah. went and sometimes you die yeah. and, and then, and then you have, have to go you have to go back and you have to like all right i'll go to page 16 so it cool. allows you to cheat for a while but yeah but it was so but much fun it, it, in far as far as uh stories go yeah. it's one of those things where you can get people to read your book more. God, man, I think I might go on eBay later and try to find I, a view to a kill 
choose your advice. I want that one. I want the choose your advice. You I know someone where got Christopher it. Walken wins at the end <laughs> yeah. and dominates the silicone. <laughs> like, Valley. damn, I didn't know they went that extreme. So, yeah, if you're a Bond fan, I mean, a, a lot of people are huge. It's funny because it used to be back in the day that everyone immediately was like Sean Connery best bond ever now a lot of people are daniel craig you know daniel craig is probably when it goes down to it daniel craig might be the best bond he might but my favorite personally it was always gonna be roger Moore. and you have to people people form memories between six and and 26 that last them their entire life and i could have easily when i think my favorite bond movie of all time is probably octopussy and i didn't put octopussy on here mainly because i knew you had view to a kill and i'm a huge view to a kill fan but octopussy was so good man it was such a great one uh a great villain in it you know it what makes a good bond movie is if you got to hit on all that notes you got a pretty bond girl you got a great villain you got a great sub villain and you got like five or six stunts you have that great opening stunt all the movies there's a formula very formulaic but the formula works and the reason people love them is because they don't so much they don't screw the formula up much look at all these other types of movies of bond oh yeah i mean there's 25 bond movies out there 26 if you include never say never again and uh, they're all great i mean they're all great and that's the problem with me is like i watched view to a kill and then it's over and i'm like what bond movie i put on next i I can't not watch it i did that the other day during fourth of july my movie is always i always (laughs) watch jaws and moonraker's got its elements even the bad ones have great stuff about it either guy have a good stunts or good uh that one really jumped the shark (laughs) more than most but speaking of shark you know on fourth of july every fourth of july i watch jaws like my I, every birthday, I watch Big Trouble in China, and every Fourth uh, of July, I watch Jaws. Those are the, the the two that I usually never miss. But the problem with oh, watching Jaws <laughs> is I watch Jaws, and then my wife comes in and she, and she's like, "You're watching Jaws?" And I said, "Well, I was. Now I'm watching Jaws too." And then later on, she's like, "She's like, this was supposed to be in 3D." I was like, "Well, this is actually Jaws 3." <laughs> which is <laughs> just gonna? And my which, cousin's like, "You gonna stop at Michael Caine?" I said, we, "I gotta go full Caine, man. I gotta go all the way." <laughs> Jaws 3, we watched. The day before going to, to SeaWorld. SeaWorld in Florida. Oh, scary, man. <laughs> well, it probably wasn't a good That's choice a crazy on our parents. For... Our parents probably shouldn't have chose that, but it was like going to be on TV that night or something like that. I think it was what they, the thing was. But All right, we're going to go into one of the more fun ones. It's probably the only crazy really one. kind of uh, has one that has kind of some crazy elements to it. And this was 2002's Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Yeah. Now, if you're not crazy, man, if you're not sure what this is, this is the 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 possibly true story <laughs> of uh, what's his name, Barry? Is it uh, Barris? Uh, Barris. Chuck, Barris. Chuck Barris. And most people know Chuck Barris from his game shows. He most w- people he don't was, know Chuck Barris, but well, Chuck, if you know Chuck Barris, if you're it, over fifty, you know Chuck Barris. Yeah, or if you grew up like us watching those old school. Uh, uh, game shows. He was the host of the Gong Show, but he also helped create the Newlywed Game, and the, the Dating, dating game. game, and a lot of the kind of famous things that are still being rebooted now. The Gong Show is the big one for him because he actually hosted that, and he was a character. And he was a, what happened is later in his life, he released memoirs and claims that he was a to have in, killed that he was that killed thirty six people, and he was a secret uh, agent for the CIA. For the CIA. And this was directed by George Clooney. And Clooney was actually in it, too. All-star cast. Great. Uh, Drew Barrymore. Julia uh, Roberts. Julia Roberts was in it. What I found really interesting with this movie is he filmed it in such a way that you don't realize what's real and what's not. A lot of the scenes were very strange in the way with, like... Remember the scene where he was always very... When he was doing his secret agent stuff, he was always very, like, regal and moved fluidly. And then when they had him... But what was weird to me was 
people would pop up in situations where they would not be. So in the movie watching it, I was like, is this real or is it in his head? Because remember, he's, he's having sex with that one woman and he goes downstairs and Drew Barrymore's there. And I'm watching it and I'm like, does Drew Barrymore even exist? Because it almost seems yeah. like he's talking to himself in the scenes. Yeah, I and, don't know if they were trying to go for that, but I certainly can I, see what you're... Next time you watch it, kind of pay attention to if anything in the spy elements almost seems weird. Like no one else in the room is paying attention to him. It's almost like he's pulling a fight club yeah. thing to mm-hmm. me. And uh, not so uh, not so overt that it is obvious to people and the movie still works as if it was uh if it wasn't that if that wasn't the case because you got to see him go on a lot of hits with like um with George Clooney. George Clooney's like recruits him and Yeah. And they use the guise of the dating game, they're sending him on dates to other <laughs> that, countries. That part where he goes to so he, he goes to get, Germany. Yeah. Uh and then uh, remember he's like ba- basically uh chaperoning two people that won on the dating game that has absolutely nothing to do with each other. And remember there was that weird element where those that guys one guy turned, turned out, to, out be, to be a spy to turn out Germany, to be a spy. And they had to trade him to get Barris back. Yeah. It was crazy, and what was really good with it is it was intercut with interviews from the actual people. And yeah, Dick Clark and playing Dick Clark himself and had I, uh, uh, some of the more famous contestants. Some of the, the contestants or like some of the producers. Guy was famous. I remember him being The on. dancing guy. They had the masked comic who I don't know if they – I'm sure they know who it is now, but he didn't do an interview. But I thought it brought a lot of – it was very smart starting those interviews with Dick Clark because you realized, oh, these guys in the interviews are all real people because obviously Dick Clark is a real person. And you recognize a lot of the people. And a lot of them are – Always like I don't know what he did. You know, he, he was he very a, secretive, was and very we secretive. don't. His secretary says he I don't was think gone anybody's for weeks come out and time. said this is absolutely untrue. Yeah, it, it's really because it's up in the air, and he's dead now. And unfortunately, he died probably like three or four years ago. But he had a had lot of memoirs, of a lot of tapes. What's that? He was on the end of the movie. That's right. He did interviews and mm-hmm. everything on the end of the movie too. So it was. They had that the scene with at the end, and I won't ruin it. With Julia Roberts was just done awesome. Oh, it was really good. The we should mention just how amazing Sam Rockwell is, and and Sam oh, Rockwell he almost went full John Hughes, not John Hughes, uh, Howard Hughes. Yeah, like there's a lot of elements because he was a lot of it reminds me of uh, Choke because remember he was a sexual kind of deviant oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and Choke, yeah, yeah. and it was reminded me a lot of this because Chuck Barris was kind of a sexual deviant. He was having sex with so many different women, and he kind of couldn't be locked down, and he, he his scruples were kind of uh, they were up in the air. You know, they were <laughs> one of my favorite lines was <laughs> he uh, he comes back, he gets the microfilm, and he comes back, and he meets George Clooney, and George Clooney has him in the car with George Clooney's boss, yeah, and George Clooney's boss is not happy, yeah, and then he's yelling at Sam Rockwell, and Sam Rockwell is like. I, well, how about a little gratitude for what I did for you? Well, you can't throw me a bone, and, and then he's and basically the guy's like, "What do you think Julia Roberts' character was? Yeah. <laughs> like she had sex with him yeah. like that week earlier." He's like, "What? Like, God damn it!" <laughs> and I, I don't want to say Sam Rockwell plays similar roles, but he's so great in this because he doesn't. I mean, in the Green Mile, that was probably the most kind of off the wall. You don't he's not see you don't see him play that psychotic and like. But you kind of—he's the perfect guy for this role. When you when you hear the story, and I, and I think this was a memoir first. I think the Confession of a Dangerous mm-hmm. Mind was a it was book. A memoir. It was a book before this was a movie. But when you look at it on paper, and you hear and you saw kind of what Chuck Bar- uh, Barris looked like in real life, you're like, oh, Sam Rockwell is like the perfect fucking choice mm-hmm. for this because he he really brings next level stuff. If you have a movie out there and you put Mo- Moon, 
uh, Moon, so good, or uh, The Seven Psychopaths, or uh, all these great, great Sam Rockwell movies uh, that Three Billboards he was amazing in, man, yep. and su- such a great actor, and uh, very underrated, man. Uh, the fact that I don't think he's won an awards yet. I'm not sure he's won. Oh, no, we wait. He won for Three uh, Billboards, I think. I think he won Best Supporting Actor, because they were giving him shit, because he kind of he played a racist in it. I, I said, I said, but he's, he did it well, you know? I mean, he's playing a guy, and, and yeah. his his whole outlook changed at the end. You can't racist. like you can't. Sam Rockwell's not racist, you know. You can't. I mean, you're not you're not giving Anthony Hopkins shit for playing a serial killer. Yeah. Come on, I mean, he's not really a serial killer. So I said, we know. You have to we know, that we know about. I said you want these stories told. You have to have really actors play really horrible people, and I know I mean, certain actors won't do it. You know, I mean, it's like it's like Michael Caine. I you're was playing just gonna a, say you're playing, you're, you're playing a Nazi, playing Hitler sometimes like that. Bruno Lutz, Bruno, that German actor that did that. The great Hitler movie about Hitler's last day in the bunker. What movie was that? Uh, oh, was it the lap, was it something about the bunker, last bunker, is, or something it, like that? I've, I've never no, seen it. I, it. But he plays Hitler perfect, and you're like, people are giving. It's like that's I mean, crazy. Come on, man! Someone's got to play him. You know, if you can't <laughs> face the worst evil. Yeah. All right, this next one, man. This next one, another two phenomenal actors, three phenomenal actors. I love the Asian guy in this movie, too. And this was 2002's The Quiet American. Now, yeah. you've always been a fan of this movie. I, this was, I mean, it had... It had I mean, all the I'm, elements you liked. It had all you know? the elements I liked. Yeah, it's, I liked it's slow. Things, it's foreign. It's foreign. It took place in... Uh, Saigon. It took place in Saigon, but during the French... Oh, before Vietnam. The French Civil fought War. There. Yeah. So it was basically yeah. Once we got in there, the French left. So, Fifty-two. All right, let the Americans. So get we in there. didn't get there till in the 60s. 60, yeah. 60, Sixty-one, we sent advisors. Sixty-three and four, we had advisors there. Yep. Then once Kennedy died, we escalated. Yep. And the French got out. But, and the, the but this was even almost before the French because I think the French got out in fifty. What a lot of people don't realize is that the South Vietnamese and the North Vietnamese were fighting a civil war and uh, forever, forever, and they uh, they always hated each other and they were going to fight it regardless of the French being there, yeah. regardless of the Americans, Americans being, being there. there. Yeah. And uh, basically, this is surrounding an American journalist played brilliantly by Michael Caine, or was he a British Michael journalist? Caine. No, he was. Uh, play American? Yeah, it must have been. He was quite American. <laughs> or unless that was Brandon Fraser's character. Were they referring to Brandon Fraser? I think Fraser? he was British. Okay. I think my uh, played British. So he has acclimated his life in Saigon. He's He's got a wife back, but he's got a mistress in Vietnam, yep. this beautiful Asian woman that he's kind of built a life around. And uh, that Asian guy from uh, Lady Killers, who played the general, yep. lost his thumb, <laughs> uh, from the, and the cat stole it. He was really great in this, man. He had a great scene later on with Brandon Fraser. And uh, his his kind of normal world had been kind of up in heaval when he just came across Brandon Fraser's character, and Brandon Fraser they sort of hit it off a little bit. They hit it off, and they went out and they introduced the uh, his his mistress to him, and they danced together, and they did all this stuff. But it it turns out that Brandon Fraser was CIA. You didn't know that for a long time. You didn't know that for a while. Remember there was but a, you kind of got the impression when you're watching it. Yeah, that he, he was, was, he was somebody. Export company. You, you didn't know if he was FBI, CIA, yeah. something. You knew he was But in, do you remember the agent. turning point in the movie when he figured it out? I don't. That was the... There was, a, was it the explosion? Someone exploded something. Great scene, man. And Michael Caine was near the explosion and saw Brandon Fraser speaking Vietnamese yep. to people. Yeah. And he had already... Said he didn't know how to speak Whoop. Vietnamese. Whoops! <laughs> and was telling people like, like, 
coordinating some effort on the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that knew he had. Yeah, he didn't know Michael Caine was off having like at the cafe when yeah. it happened. Mm-hmm. That was a great scene. I saw the making of the well, scene too, and the making of the scene was really taking, intense. They started sort of. Brandon Fraser kind of fell for his uh, mistress. Yeah, which kind of made things awkward for Michael Caine. So he already was kind of on the outs with Brandon Fraser before he realized this. But that scene where he, so Michael Caine is just it's like early in the morning, and Michael Caine and as a viewer, you know something horrible is going to happen because you, you're watching Michael Caine watch other people uh, as they're in this huge center square and everything, and all of a sudden an explosion went off, huge, something like a car explosion. Yeah. That, that but there was the people it, in the streets hit a couple other missing things limbs and, and bleeding out. Oh yeah, it was. It was really well the, for, when he first noticed Brandon Fraser. And Brandon Fraser is kind of ignoring things, and just cleaning blood off the off his pant leg, and then he's wondering what was going on. And that's before he was speaking Vietnamese. And then uh, Michael Caine's like Asian kind of counterpart or friend there was is kind of bringing it to him. He says, "You know," he says, "This guy's CIA." <clears throat> and they were put in that awkward situation, weren't they? In they were in like this really precarious situation yeah. in the field together overnight. Yeah. I, were they? And I mean, they—if they had gotten caught, they would have been killed. Yeah, it was like a—it was, a it was similar to like uh, that scene in Good docks. Morning Vietnam, where uh, yeah, they where, tried to where Adrian and... Cronauer got caught on mm-hmm. uh, in the wrong spot at the right time. So, it, and uh, Michael Caine and Brendan Fraser had to kind of rely on each other to get out of that situation. But we well, yeah, won't completely spoiler it, man. But man, there's a uh, this scene where Brendan Fraser at the end, man, whew. It, it was uh, really intense, but it it was a lot of really. It was slow. It, it certainly was slow. I mean, you could say that about a lot of spy movies. Yeah, you really can. But as long and as that's the story like is engaging about it, yeah, we're not saying that as a derogatory. Like kind I of couldn't thing. watch every spy <laughs> unless you're Justin. Justin, don't watch Quiet American. You will you will lose no, interest. No, yeah, <laughs> probably. Yeah, watch Cloak and Dagger. Right. Uh, watch Born, Born Ultimatum. <laughs> yeah, Born Ultimatum has got uh, that, your level of excitement. But there is some key moments in the Quiet American, mm-hmm. like the 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 explosions and uh, that uh, some major kind of. Uh, uh, hits and kills uh, that are in the movie that kind of brought it to that next level. But casting Michael Caine and Brendan Fraser was brilliant. It might have been the last movie I had seen Brendan Fraser before he took his hiatus, and now he's suddenly coming back because he was. You didn't see George of the Jungle. That was this was even out. I think George of the Jungle was before this. Yeah, really? this was before George. This might have been the last one because remember he was part of that Me Too movement where he was being sexually harassed. Uh, Brendan Fraser was. It was he was one of the few guys. Remember what was the other guy from Brooklyn Nine Nine who came out? Terry Crews. Terry Crews came out. Was he in Brooklyn Nine Nine? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he came out and he was part of the Me Too movement, which really opened people's eyes and be like, "Whoa, this is this is not just happening to women. This has happened to a lot of these high-profile guys out there and like big, like burly guys who, uh, that it was happening to." And Brendan Fraser came out and he said, "Yeah, this was happening to me," which I thought was interesting because he, I, I it wasn't happening with Harvey Weinstein, but Brandon's a lot of Brandon's movies were Miramax. They were like, "What the hell is going on at this place where this is happening to all these actors?" So he's slowly coming back, and I've seen him in interviews now, and he looks great. And there's a kind of uh, the word that he might be doing a mummy movie, which would be amazing if he came back to reprise his mummy role. But there's a lot of those great dramatic number, stuff. Number seven was <coughs> Miramax movie. Yeah, that was Miramax also. Uh, but there's a lot of great Brendan Fraser movies that people don't realize are great because they're not like. Uh, 
they're not Encino Man or the Mummy. Uh, one that comes to mind that was amazing was Gods and Monsters. Do you remember that? Yep. The the true story of James Whale, the guy who did the Frankenstein movie, yeah. and he was uh, famously a, a gay character and he had a gay relationship with uh, Brendan Fraser's character. Such a great, great dramatic movie, man, which uh, brought a lot of the uh, the elements of uh, the James Whale's production uh, kind of intertwined with his real life. So if you're a Brendan Fraser fan. Check out A Quiet America and check out Gods and Monsters. Really good. This next one, one of my favorites on this list, man. Mm -hmm. Such a great movie. We won't reveal the ending of it because it has one of the biggest twists of any movies. And this was 1987's No Way Out. The butler did it. Yeah, the butler did it. (laughs) Uh, Big No Way Out fan, are you? I I was. I mean, I was a huge Kevin Costner fan. For me... And Sean Young... Gene Hackman, but for me, the star of this movie is Will Patton. I loved Will Patton yeah. in this movie, man, and how and it, it won't ruin anything. But the, uh, how fast Gene Hackman turns on him at the end, yeah, and oh god, that last scene with uh, with Will Patton was so good. But you want to talk tense, tense movies? We won't reveal. I mean, it had this. a lot of those. Same, lend this it had to this, mom. a lot mom of the same this. elements that Breach had, where he had to sort of. Well, let's tell what's going on, basically. So, so we got. Uh, the senator, Gene Hackman. Gene plays Hackman. Senator. He. So the pretext of this movie was he's a powerful senator that was going to oppose a new stealth submarine, mm-hmm. and uh, he he brings uh, Kevin Costner on his staff because he was friends with Will Patton. Yeah, Will Patton is, Will, is, is and he was a Gene hero. Hackman's like he was like a hero, man. a hero Navy officer. But Will Patton was he uh, Gene Hackman's right hand man? Right hand man, he, he like was, did everything for him. And uh, so chief of staff. Basically. He was having an affair with Sean Young. Hackman was. Yeah. Hackman was, and she had had, had met Kevin Costner. Was sort of having a fling with he, him too. <laughs> I, I kind of thought that there was a lot of real Sean Young in this movie. Yeah, oh, I imagine. <laughs> I might be completely wrong with that, but no, everyone knows I she's like a little to think crazy. Being a that little that crazy. she played the field with a lot of these crazy people. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, at the very beginning, and this is not a spoiler at all, at the beginning of the movie, in, like, the first half hour, uh, so Sean Young is, is is tired of being with Gene Hackman and starts having an affair with, yeah. uh, with Kevin and Costner. And she's obviously going to leave him. And to the point where Gene Hackman's at the front door and Kevin Costner's there, and she's like, you have to leave. I have to go out with Gene Hackman. Yeah. And Kevin Costner gets pissed, but he slips out the back. Yep. And Gene Hackman comes in and knows somebody just left, and they have this huge fight. They go upstairs. And they're screaming and yelling at each other. And, and Gene Hackman just—he doesn't really mean to do it. I, I, he doesn't. He, he I pushes he her, does. and she falls off the top of the balcony and falls onto the gra- glass coffee table and dies yeah. immediately. And then immediately calls like Will Patton. I fucked up. He's I'm, like, I just wanted to talk to somebody before I turn myself in. And then Will Patton was like, "Fuck that! Fuck that! We I, can fix this. We we control the NSA." Yeah. And also, we we should mention that through this whole thing. There's been word that there is a Russian mole named Yuri that people are searching for in the Pentagon. And they were like, oh, wait, let's say Yuri did this. Let's say Yuri yeah, they were was using, having an affair with this woman. Using, and what do they call it? That's uh, who we're searching for. They protect national interests. Yeah. So they're conducting an investigation. What really screws things up is that earlier in the movie where Sean Young and Kevin Costner are having their kind of affair together, she takes a photo of him on the bed and it was like one of those old Polaroids that you had to rip the carbon copy off. Yep. And the carbon copy goes under the bed. And, and when they're searching, when she dies and they bring the police in there, they find that thing. And then Kevin Costner's like, holy shit, 
I know that Gene Hackman did this, but they're going to think I did this. They're totally going to think I did this when they find that. And uh, remember that his well, uh, and then friends. at one point they were like, they were like, when they were spinning the story that Yuri did this, they yeah. were like, they're going to think I'm Yuri. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was great because remember uh, his the guy that was in the wheelchair, his, uh, George D'Souza, I think, yeah. is a great character actor. You've Very. seen him in everything. I loved him in. Uh, Crimson Tide. He yep. was he was the one that building the was, submarine. No, he was the one that was. Oh, the, he was a captain. He, he was, was like the the second in command. Yep. Remember, he was like we tried to mutiny, and he's like, he's right. He says, you without both your orders, you're gonna uh, uh, you can't launch missiles. Yeah. And uh, he, he was great in that. You'd recognize him if you saw him. You look George Souza up. He's very famous. We might have to have him on our next character actor pod. But he was in like a wheelchair, and his job was to. Uh, facial recognition. Do the facial recognition. The computers um, were very kind yeah. of uh, in their infancy at this point. In days, we'll know what this looks like. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas now, it would be like, yeah, yeah. like oh, shit, seconds, Kevin Costner. I'll tell you who this is. And <laughs> so, at some point, it gets so bad that Kevin Costner actually has to come. Well, they put him in charge, sort of, of the investigation. Yeah, but he has to come out to George Susan and says, he says, I'm on that photo. Yeah. He says, I was having an affair with her. I, I had nothing to do with the death. I do know who did it, and if I told you, you, you wouldn't want to know. You'd be in deep shit if I told you. He said, but I can tell you I don't know, so you have to slow that process down. And Please. He, he kind of D'Souza kind of screwed himself. He doesn't want to do it, and he's like, you put me in a horrible situation well, he here, goes man. to Will Patton. Yeah. <laughs> Will Patton's like, oh, hey, have you told anybody? No, you're the first person oh, I came God, to. Oh, God, man. It, it is a tense, Someone asked you that, movie, say, man. I told everybody, and I wrote it down in triplicate and yeah. put it in safety deposit boxes. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to say that the last half hour was tense, but really it was like the last hour. The last like the hour, last half yeah. of this movie, you were like, is Kevin Costner's face going to be recognized? Are they going to find out? They locked down the whole building at some point because then they know they're looking for the, they They know that Kevin Costner has something to do with it, so they want to talk to him. They bring in the guy that, that's rented him the boat. And he was the he was I oh liked yeah, yeah, him yeah, in yeah several yeah. movies. He was in Mask. He, he was, was in Mask. He was the guy who played Dozer in, in Mask. Uh, he was also in uh, Innocent uh, Man. Jan- Jason Patrick movie Narc, not Narc. Uh, what was the uh, the one he did with? Hall? Oh, Rush. Yeah, Rush. He's yeah, the yeah. one that came over there. Yep. And he's he's like, you guys are drooling over my wife. Always played a big burly biker. Yep. In a movie with a jean jacket and, so, cut and off then they had somebody, sleeves. the major D, at like the yeah. restaurant. So they had two people that could identify who was having an affair with. Uh, yeah. Uh, Sean like, Young. There he is. There he, he is. is around the corner. And at some and point, like, he has to go like into the ventilation yeah. system and shit. Ooh. It was so exciting, man. And yeah, the, it had like a, it had like a double shock ending. It had one shock ending with uh, with that involved Gene Hackman, and Will Patton, Patton, and Kevin Costner, and then it had another shock ending. And you were like, you "Holy crap!" No, we can't tell that one, man. That's a. Big I recommend one. this movie. It holds yeah. up. It I totally it holds again. up. I probably saw it a hundred times when it came and out, you, and you probably didn't realize. I mean, you knew what it was going to happen, but I mean, they they hit it really well. They, I they knew did a the really big spoiler at the end. Yeah. I remember that. But if you hadn't seen the movie, it, you probably wouldn't have seen it. I coming. remember the big spoiler, and I remembered Sean Young doing a nude scene. So, yeah, well, that scenes. was normal for her. Wasn't Amon in this too? Wasn't Amon her roommate? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Who uh, I was showing David her, Bowie's wife. Yeah, David Bowie's ex-wife. She was great, man. I loved Amon because I had been watching like Star Trek Six, oh, uh, the Undiscovered Country. She plays that shapeshifter on the, oh, a prison yeah, planet yeah, yeah, yeah. and everything. Remember, oh, she yeah, eventually yeah, yeah. becomes Kirk, and they're like yeah. talking to each other and everything. And I remember showing well, my I wife. I remember he, Kirk has sex with her, and then she turns into her normal, <laughs> yeah, her normal <laughs> thing, and she was like this big ogre blue. Ogre. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, it was great. I remember showing my wife. I said, oh, that's Der- that was David Bowie's ex-wife uh, and everything, and showed her pictures of her. She was beautiful, man. Uh, great supermodel. supermodel. Yeah, supermodel. But, yeah, no way out. I'll have to lend it to Mom because it was uh, it, it's one of those shocking endings. 
All right, now last one here. Really great movie. Me and Dave have always been a fan of this movie. On my top ten. Definitely top on the ten top ten. Of all movies. I've Ever. already we're, – we're actually recording this on the day that it drops, so I know what the opening clip is going to be, and, yeah. I, and I use the clip <laughs> yeah. where, where Matt cut. Damon's – no, not that. Oh, okay. I use the one oh. where Matt Damon's talking to the guy in the desert. Yeah. You know, How much you know what the world thinks kid? of you? Yeah. <laughs> he says they think you were in the desert cutting your heads off and everything. So, yes, on behalf of my country, thank you. I'll take your money. Yeah. <laughs> we think 100 years ago you were in the desert cutting people's heads off, and not much else has not changed. Not much has changed. <laughs> Such a great speech, man. You know, this was great. you know what made this movie so great? It had – Tons of subplots. Yep, absolutely. That Jeffrey guy. Jeffrey Wright. Remember, his dad was an alcoholic, yep. and like he had to deal with that. But he was also spying for, for um, who's the famous? I mean, it has so many famous people. I can't. Even, yeah, yeah. Chris Cooper was. I liked his. his he was one of the oil great. execs. Yep. And uh, the guy who played the the Sheik's son the was son really was good with uh, Matt Damon. And then you had the obviously the uh, and I rewatched that great scene that was I couldn't still couldn't watch it, man. That torture scene with George Clooney and uh, uh, I'm gonna and Mark Strong. Out, Bob. You look at Mark Strong there; he looks almost like a different person. His yes. voice is exactly mm-hmm. the same, but I think they did something with his eyebrows and they they kind of tinted his uh, his yeah. or they gave him a really big tan because they uh, almost unrecognizable if you look at him there compared to like. Uh, Kick ass. But it's also one of those movies where the subplots move towards each other. Yep, yep. Because George Clooney in the beginning, remember he he he's a CIA guy. Yeah, yeah. To break it down a little of the that's story where was. the sort of the spy element of this movie yeah. is because it had government espionage, it had CIA kind of foreign uh, diplomacy policy, yeah. and that's where the Matt Damon shift. stuff Matt, happens. Yeah. So basically, what what is happening is there's going to be a regime change and. In Saudi Arabia. In Saudi Arabia. And one of two sons is going to become the prince. Yep. Or the new king. And one of them... <laughs> will play ball with the Americans. One of them was going to give exclusive rights to the oil to... Yeah. Matt um, Damon's company. To Matt Damon, but America in general. Yeah, yeah. And then the other one was going to deal with the Chinese. Yep. And the U.S. was like, well, obviously we can't let the Chinese yeah. have that. So they have George Clooney basically... They show uh, that first mission he was on. Remember, they gave he gave him two Stinger missiles. He sold them to to somebody in Jordan, mm-hmm. and then one guy put one in his trunk, and then the blue eyed uh, Muslim guy took the. I forgot about that. Yeah, took the other missile, which ended up they did kind of a nod to the coal. Remember, the coal got bombed. The I don't remember that now. There was a boat. And uh, 111 seamen, I think, died. Ooh. U.S. seamen. What year was this? Somewhere around in the in the 90s, oh, the 90s? or the 80s, huh. late 80s, early 90s, I okay. think. But it was a terrorist act against a the USS Cole, which was parked in a in a um, harbor in somewhere over there. Yeah. And uh, someone rammed the, the boat. Oh, okay. With a I think I do surface air missile. Yeah. Blew a huge side in the. Boat. The boat didn't sink. Was that this movie where they did it with the kids in the yeah. boat? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Yeah. I, I remember that. They, I didn't think it was in this movie. They had that subplot of those kids yeah. were working in the oil fields. Yeah. And that was a great. You're right. There was a shitload of, of subplots in this movie. There was not confusing either. No, it was just they were all interesting. The, the, the senator uh, was played. One of the senators was played by uh, the guy from with George Clooney. Who directed the, this? Was this was this what's the, what's the funny or? Soggy Bottom Boys one? Oh, uh, which one? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tim yeah. Blake Nelson. Tim Blake Nelson, yeah. He plays one of the senator, and there he's like explaining to somebody, he's like, greed is why is oh, how yeah. we win. That's, that's a great line, too. I could have easily <laughs> used like, that line. He's like, he's like, greed. He's, uh, greed is our business, yeah. man. <laughs> like, 
So this wasn't Soddenberg, but I, I think he was he's worked with Soddenberg a lot. That's what made me think of it because uh, Stephen Gaghan, who had he wrote Traffic, yeah, he wrote Syriana. Very... I'm trying to see what else he's only directed eight Traffic things. So is mostly one of those movies that had a lot of ooh, subplots. Too. He, he wrote that new Doolittle movie, so he, it wasn't always a winner for him. Hey, but he got paid. But he, he's a lot more famous. It looks like for his writing. Uh, man, he wrote Call of Duty Ghosts, the video game. Huh. That might have been interesting to play. So he, he wrote Syriana, uh, the Alamo movie, Traffic, Rules of Engagement, uh, I like that one. NYPD Blue like in the practice. So he's done a lot of good stuff there. Uh, but this, so basically, George Clooney is kind of, Matt Damon wants to help the, the radical, the prince that wants to, yeah. wants to let women vote, wants to let, let it, let bidding happen so that it's fair to everybody. Yeah, more of the progressive of the yeah, two. Yeah, he wasn't going to just give everything to the... to the. I remember... God, I wish I had the cast pulled up in front of me. But the old guy that was on the boat with the with the evil prince that wanted to be American, he's like... He's like... He's like... What I see in front of me is a spoiled brat that can't make up his mind. He's like... He's like, we'll make you king if you do what I want you to do. Christopher Plummer was yeah, Christopher Plummer, this, Okay, his speech that he gave the the disaffected prince. The judge from The Wire was in this. Yeah, there's a lot of great famous people on this movie, man. So remember, Clooney was trying. They they were gonna kill the prince with a surface to air missile. Yeah. Oh man, I and forgot so, about that scene. There's so much good stuff. So they in this told movie, man. George Clooney's like, I gotta go warn him. So what they did is they did a they pulled the Arlington Road. They put the bomb in Clooney's yeah. car, oh. and he didn't know it. And so Clooney's driving up to the car- caravan. Yeah. So they didn't need waving the white, to, waving yeah. the white flag. They got yeah. him to stop, and he's he was telling him he's in danger. And then they blew the bomb up, and then they framed Clooney oh. and made Clooney look like Clooney assassinated. And then they just closed the book on Clooney. God, man, the the scene though we're talking about with Mark Strong, man, it, it was intense. Yeah. If you, it, it's a difficult scene to watch. It's a torture scene, and it's it's the. Always the way that I always assume to get people to talk. Fingernails? I, yeah. Fingernails are cutting fingers off. I mean, you, you, you got... You start cutting stuff off. You got 20 fingers and toes. Yeah. If you were going to start pulling off if someone doesn't tell you something by the third one... And what, what's what's dark about it is it was a, it started out as you... Do you remember his reaction this was a, when he pulled the first fingernail Oh, yeah, it was gross. Yeah. But Mark Strong... Yeah, Mark Strong... even like, said that. He's like, oh, that's disgusting. Yeah, that's disgusting. And, <laughs> well, he started off, and they say that too. You know, your biggest enemy is the guy you... you the guy who's going to come for you is the one you thought was your friend. And yeah. that was the case. He was like, oh, I'm so happy to have you back here, Bob. And uh, the next, almost the next scene is Oh, do you Clooney. remember how they set that scene up? Oh, that's right. They put the, Clooney, the hood over his well, head. Clooney was overseeing an operation to kidnap somebody. Yeah. And he says, I want you to, I want you to put a bag over his head, put him in a van, drive him at 100 miles an hour, yeah. and meet me here. Yeah. So they're showing surveillance on the guy that they want Clooney to get. Yeah. And you see the team moving in mm-hmm. to get the guy that Clooney... But then... They cut when they were like, "All right, we're almost ready to go in and get him." Yep. They come through Clooney's door. Yeah, and so really good, they, man. you thought you were watching a raid on the guy that <laughs> yeah, Clooney very, uh, very, uh, oh. what is it? Uh, Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, yep. very yeah. Silence of the yeah, Lambs yeah. at the yeah, end. Yeah. Uh, and I love it when they they got him in the room to torture him, and they already have his fingers taped to like when they had his hands duct duct his hands were duct taped to like a table and everything she knew whatever they were going to do it was going to be to his fingers so you didn't know if they were going to cut his fingers off or really it was just as bad i guess i guess it's not just as bad because your fingers now will grow back eventually maybe not because they took the root yeah (laughs) a couple years for sure and so he took out a pair of pliers and he was and he was i'll tell you whatever you want to know god yeah i mean 
and that's the problem. Oh, they would they, they, they would think you were lying anyways. And he got through two of them, you know, and then he was gonna. Well, then he, he had that line that when great he whispered Dutch to him. Angle. Yep. I remember it being a Dutch angle. This must have been when we were oh five. Yeah, we yeah. were in filming. Yep. And so I particularly remember. I'm going to cut your head off, Bob. And they yeah. have the Dutch angle, and he had a serrated knife. And he probably would have, but they then people but came then into the, the room, yeah. He, they're like, we vouched for him. He's a guest here. You know, you can't kill him. Then the next couple of scenes, we see Clooney's got, like, bandages yeah. over his fingernails mm-hmm. and shit. And you're like, God damn, man. But you remember the, the one disturbing scene in that movie was something that had nothing to do with, with any spy stuff. Oh, the Matt Damon? His kid his getting kid. electrocuted in the pool oh. because one of the faulty. They showed you the faulty pool light. Yep. And then the prince and his the king was like showing off his his cameras and he's and he's like, oh, this one isn't working. Yep. And then they they zoomed in and they played this pulsing music, and the the ki- there was like t- ten kids and they were they were bullying the one kid. They were mm. like, jump in, jump in, and it was like dark. Yeah. And. Uh, as soon as yeah. he jumps in, the kid gets electrocuted. Yeah, a couple really kind of shocking scenes. Matt Damon's wife was there. She was, uh, what's her name, Amanda Peet, yeah. played his wife, and uh, she was great in this. But it was a fantastic movie, and it, it came out, George Clooney was huge in, like, 05 because it was the same exact year that Good Night and Good Luck came out. And he had been nominated for both of them. I remember he was, like, the star of that year's Oscars. And he ended up winning for directing, uh, I think he won for supporting actor for this, and, and I direct- think he won for maybe the producing or the directing of, of, uh, of good night uh, and good luck, uh, and uh, yeah, he was he was kicking it at this time, man. He, he needs to come up with some uh, more movies. I've seen he's just been busy doing a lot of humanitarian stuff with and his wife and tequila. Uh, oh, is he making tequila? He's, you see the trucks around town, Casa Amigo. Oh, right, that's his. Yeah, oh, I didn't know that. Him you know and who his else friend. is? Uh, Ron White has got his own tequila line uh, too, yeah. because he was on a the Rogan podcast and he brought some of his tequila, tequila Ron White. down. Is a big drinker, so I'd, oh, I'd yeah. drink some of his. Anybody yeah. that's and he huge... was talking about how he made it and how it was different than every other tequila and everything. It was an interesting episode to listen <laughs> to. If you, yeah, Clooney's or... is not cheap. His stuff's not cheap. Oh, I would imagine it, it, and it makes sense. I mean, if you have a name behind that, if you, if your name is Francis Ford Coppola and you put out wine, you like who but, knows wine more than Coppola? I, I is mean, it good wine? Have you had it? I, it is good wine. Yeah, and it's not. It's reasonably priced. Yeah, like I can afford Coppola's wine. Yeah, more it's like than thirteen, afford... fifteen dollars a yeah, bottle I compared think, to. I think. Uh, what's his name's tequila is like thirty or forty. I don't have the taste for. I don't really have the taste for alcohol. I like much. tequila, but I like uh, tequila is one of those things where you have to spend money to yeah. get good stuff. If I'm drinking strong stuff, I could drink straight whiskey, and I like. But I have a bottle that lasts. I have like a fifth that will last me six months, mm-hmm. and literally every three or four weeks, for some reason, it'll hit me, and I don't have to go to work for a while. I'm like, yeah, maybe I'll take a shot. But I, even more so, I, I like just putting a little bit in with a couple ice cubes, and I, it, it makes it a lot easier mm-hmm. to sip for me, but I'm, uh, My I'm wife really a big could, alcohol we fan. We could finish a fifth. You could finish a fifth? <laughs> in a night. In a I mean, we have. Yeah. <laughs> I, know, I know we can because we You did. got it here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not a big drinker, man. I just can't. Like I uh, can't. I don't I like the feel of it. So I, I like the feel of a uh, of that initial buzz, but I, I never want to go back for for another one. Like I, I try to go up north. With my cousin who's a big uh, Jim Beam drinker and everything, I can, and, I, I drink and I'm Jim like, Beam. I don't have to work tonight. Maybe I'll get drunk and then two it two in. I'm just get too tired for it. And I was like, yeah, I mean, not into it anymore. That's what happens. Yeah, I'm just not a, not a fan as much as I used to be. All right, so that'll do it for Spies number three until Dave talks us into doing number yep, four. Spies like us, we haven't done that one yet. <laughs> oh, shit, don't do this to me, dude. <laughs> We're going to wait at least a year. We're going to wait we at least until... We haven't done The uh, Man Who Knew Too Much we are, or uh, The Man Who Knew Too Little. We are knowing... <laughs> yeah, I know we could do all, uh, both of those. Uh, 
what number is this? I'm wondering. Let me look here. This is number 146. So we are coming close to our three-year mark. So, I mean, I guess we'd celebrate it at 150, but technically it would be like 156. Yeah, 156 would be our three-year mark, man. And uh, just two weeks ago is like the only time we've missed a week too, and that was well, just there was a lot of shit going on, man. And uh, you know, because it was a leap year last yeah, year. Yeah, and so. we used to do one. We used to be one ahead of everything, but now we're kind of on a uh, schedule where we uh, we do we're it. On and a I pandemic schedule. Yeah, pandemic schedule. I either do it the you day before, or I do it today's the day of. If you're listening to this when it drops, it was done the morning. We literally of, so. just finished. <laughs> we just about finished it. it. I have the clips already done. I'm just gonna drop it on the timeline, and I'm good to go, man. I wonder who. So the the podcast that I run, the um, Arthur Most Experience with Deke, subscribe, log in, subscribe. You'll hear some funny <laughs> stuff. I get paid every time. Yeah, if you're a fan of uh, if you're a fan of, of, uh, sports, of sports, he it's mostly Steelers centric. But AFC, if you're in the AFC, if you're just like NFL, and this guy played nine years for the Bills and the Steelers, yep. he's got intimate knowledge about. But he also loves uh, UFC. Yeah, he loves. Uh, he's a big, newly become big fan of NASCAR. Yeah. And uh, they uh, do they uh, Kevin they do Harvard, like a quarantine thing them and uh, no uh, they just do a just bunch careful, of huh? procedures beforehand. He works yeah. for CBS and they go through a whole bunch of things to have. Their I know people. Uh, Rogan gives tests to people before they come in the thing. Do you hear uh, Brian Callen just got coronavirus? Oh, did he? Yeah, uh, good friend of Rogan and a stand comedian, and he's in the Goldbergs. And a lot of people know Brian Callen from uh, from Mad TV and everything. It, I like it, it sucks, and he had to go on TV, and he was like, I was stupid. He says, I was doing my podcast. I went to San Antonio. I did a concert. And he says, so if you're listening to this and you fist-bumped me, I've got coronavirus. And he says, I foolishly fist-bumped a lot of people that night, thinking that that would have avoided it. So go get yourself tested if you fist-bumped Brian Callen in Texas. Because I did not. I did not. So uh, it's a scary time out there, so you got to try to do well at uh, social distancing yeah. well, as much as possible. I, I, so I brought the podcast up to say that it's funny because when he he's got some really loyal fans, and when he drops something, oh yeah, boom, they're on it. And within an hour, a hundred views. Oh yeah, so. yeah. No, there's a, I, I listen to a couple podcasts and Ro- Rogan's one of those. Yet. It's like he, oh, he's he just dropped it. It's like yeah, tens of thousands the, the, in the first hour. Initial. And he is in. I love the long form that he does, man. He will talk three and a half hours Jesus with people, Christ. and it, it's great and it goes quick. And I maybe I enjoy it because I can do it. I I work Plus for a like, lot of people have it as background. Yeah, well, me it's perfect because I I I drive at night as a delivery driver for four hours straight, so I could get through the entire pod and, and part of another one in in one night, and I love it. And it, it goes by so quick, and you really get to know a person when you talk to them. And, it, and that's his big reason for doing that long form, is that uh, you know you talk to these people on CNN or or Fox News, and you get a five minute blurb, and you don't get to know what people's ideas. And that's why it's interesting when you go on the the Rogan pod, and you can listen to him talking to Bernie Sanders, and he just did a Hannibal Burr one and they just they just kind of break it down and they're very loose with their kind of what they talk about and uh, it's really a fun and so that's why I never mind if we go over on a certain time we don't have a time limit we just talk for however long we want to talk about uh, stuff and I think that's a great idea I think a lot of podcasts hinder themselves by saying we got to cut it off at 45 minutes we got to cut it off an hour no way man we're in charge we're the boss we're the boss I'm the captain now. <laughs> All <laughs> right. I'm losing. <laughs> so, uh, till next week, we are going to do next week will be a wild card with me and Justin. And then the week after that will be a wild card for me and Dave. And then we've got some exciting stuff planned for after that, which we will, uh, we will kind of inform everyone next week what that will be. But if you want to get a hold of us, you can check us out on. Uh, 
uh, Facebook. You can see all our uh, collage pictures we put up. We put them up the day that the uh, episodes drop now so you can get a good idea of what we're going to be talking about. So that's Fascinated with Films on Facebook. You can also send us an email, fascinatedwithfilms at gmail.com, or you could leave us a like or a comment on our two platforms, which are SoundCloud and iTunes. Uh, we would greatly appreciate it. Mm-hmm. But until next week, wildcard, bitches. Yep. See ya. Later. I'm happiest in the saddle.